Welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Panjway Podcast. As always, you can find our episodes on all podcast platforms, as well as YouTube and Facebook for the video episodes. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice, and if you enjoy what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash the Panjway podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at the Panjway podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store. So if you head over to the Panjoypodcast.com and click on the store tab, you'll see stickers and other merchandise and who knows what might come down the pipeline. So remember on all three platforms, that's the Panjway podcast. P-A-N-J-W-A-I podcast. Thank you. Like, no, was, I, I honestly, like, I cannot so believe the, the balloons were being used for that. I didn't all the time. I didn't know that it calf was such a big conglomerate that we had complete douches there. Like I remember my commander got pulled over by some like Sergeant major. He like, you know, was like got in front of him and put his four ways on. And it was, um, I'm trying to remember what the deal oh, was because he didn't stop during a rocket attack. And it was like, <laughs> you're driving too. Take uh, you know, yeah. shit break like you're 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 not following the rules either because if you're saying we're wrong for not stopping i think that's what it was it might have been a different infraction but anyway my commander basically told him to go pound sand and sorry i'm sorry think. sergeant major i can't hear you when you're not staying in a position of attention <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, yeah, no pull right. that classic move <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a it's, it's a it's a rare move you have to be very careful about how you yeah. do it because oh, sergeant no, major you, you've got you've got it's yeah. got to be delicate and yeah. i'll tell you that i always tried to not do any of that because i yeah. was an enlisted guy for a, a number mm-hmm. of years you know nine and a half years and I would so i would never outstep my boundaries but some of these folks that Attains if he's, if he leads bit. off with being a douche, the doors. Yeah, no, open. I mean, because there's douches <laughs> yeah. in all ranks. I mean, yeah. there's douches in all ranks from from E1 to E9, W1 to W5, and and oh, O1 yeah. all yeah. the way to O10. There's yeah. in, in that in those ranks, you're gonna find uh, idiots. Yeah, or yeah, or D bags. Yeah. <laughs> and no, they, no they were prevalent on calf. Like we would get yelled at for not wearing dirty uniforms. Belts. Having dirty uniforms, they tried to tell us we couldn't go into the defect in calf because we had dirty uniforms. Um, not having like four ways on on the mat V's or some. Sh- or well, ground- and they, I don't they know, did while, while we were there and we were told a, a different scenario of, of why it happened. I don't know what the real cause was. I, I really don't. But while I was in calf, you could go in PTs for about I was there from January of 12 to uh-huh. December of, of uh, 12 or actually January 13. And we were told at some point you can't wear PTs in a defect anymore. And then part of it was like, oh, they need to know your rank and name. <laughs> and then part of it was because it's a it's a ploy on, you know, making sure there's not a, you know, uh, whatever what they call it, a, a blue on green or whatever incident that they would call what? it. When, but we yeah. didn't have a lot of Afghan forces yeah. at uh, 
Okay. Well, it's it's yeah. just as easy. Anyway, for them we were to get all a- mad, and yeah. we think that 100% it was just to be able to identify somebody's rank and say, 100%. that's the person that is going to get in trouble because they did yeah. this. They didn't or, get under the table. So, Sergeant Majors attack. know who they can yell at. Exactly. They're, they're not, <laughs> yeah, they're they're not going to yell at a captain yeah. or something. Yeah. No, yeah. that was a big deal at Kandahar. Like, if you didn't get under the table during a rocket attack, everybody's like, like this little plastic table is going <laughs> to. Save you if a 107 millimeter Katyusha rocket hits you. Mm. Well, that was our thing. We were we were at the yeah. boardwalk one time, and like it, 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 the the siren went off, but there weren't actually any things coming. It was like a drill or something. Everyone's like scurrying and like hitting the deck, and we're just like, "What are you doing? It's a rocket yeah. attack! Get down!" I was like, "If I die, I die." Like, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I've been, I guess, I've been in the real know, shit for six months. The, 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 the shrapnel thing, but it was just like to me. I would do my best if I was somewhere near and I heard the siren. I would try to, if there was a bunker, I wouldn't do the dramatic sprint, but I would, I would step in there. Cause I, the, sure, the problem was in. for us yeah, at, yeah, in Kandahar, the problem was that like Mustang ramp, that was the place that it got out of all of Kandahar. They were all landing like vicinity Mustang ramp. So I remember mm-hmm. pre-flight and, and hearing it and it was like, I, I remember jumping off the catwalk cause it was multiple rockets that yeah. you could hear splashing around and it, they weren't like super close but it was like i would be an idiot to not go <laughs> in yeah, a, a walk bunker. over you know go yeah. like that's exactly what it was. no reason it was, to look yeah, like it was, an it was idiot, not a, it was not a sprint off the aircraft and, and a, and a sprint crawling across the freaking runway to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 we, i wasn't doing all that i just uh oh, it, was, it, it certainly was interesting well we're we're here with uh Former CW three, right? Yeah, CW three retired. or four. Okay, three. CW three retired. Keith nicely, former infantryman, eleven Bravo, and Apache helicopter pilot. So, as everyone who watches the show is aware, this is going to be an episode near and dear to my heart. <laughs> uh, we ha- we has the additional distinction of Keith was one of my instructor pilots in flight school. I was one of his first students ever. And uh, Keith also was in the, in the air over Luke and I in Panjway in 2012 as part of um, Task Force. Was it Dark Horse? Was that the yeah, name Dark of Task Horse? Force? Yep. Yep. So even though he was an Apache pilot, not a Kiowa, he was still part of that task force. Um, did you guys have the same call signs? Were yeah. Also so Dark Horse? if it was an AWT, uh, which is an attack weapons team, then it would be gunmetal. But we okay. didn't. I mean, That's right. I yeah. won't say we never did it. I would call it 2%. The rest was pink teams. And then we had a thing that they, they called uh, heavy teams and, and it, it wore out. It wasn't a good call. It was two yeah. 258s, one Apache. It just wasn't a good sign. So we wound up just going back to scout weapons teams and then pink teams. So the the call sign Dark Horse has a near and dear place definitely. in all of our hearts. So <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, mine, mine, mine for sure. I mean, that is the 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 single greatest year that, that I've ever served. I mean, it was there was a lot of happy moments and certainly a lot of sad ones, but it, it yeah. was certainly the best group of uh, gentlemen and women that I've ever served with. It was a it was an awesome deployment. Awesome. Cool. Um, well so when you uh when you made the you know let's rewind a little bit when you made the decision to join the military, like what, what drove you to the army and why'd you choose infantry at first? Okay. So here is the, I guess I'll do the, you know, we got the five minute intro, but I will try to, to, to break it down a little bit. Even yeah, faster you've had a pretty storied is, career. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what really occurred is, um, I was in high school, I was on a wrestling team and, and I had 
Uh, my two best buds were actually really studs at, at wrestling, and and they both, you know, one of them got a scholarship, the other one wound up earning a full scholarship and becoming, you know, he all the way up to rank number two or three in the country. Damn. Um, NCAA Division One, and I was hoping to do maybe like a Division Three, which they didn't have scholarships, but I didn't I didn't have really any of that stuff going on, and and my family didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I was a I was a person that my my parents died when I was a young age, which I won't go into the whole spiel of that. But I was raised by my aunt, and I said, the army, perfect fit. I'll go in the army, and and uh, I want to do something physical though. And when when I said that to the recruiter, he was like, ching ching, <laughs> and uh, he's like. Oh, Have you heard you know, of the not, infantry? Not, 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 yeah, not like the Full Metal Jacket. Oh, 100 infantry. But he was like, you need to go infantry. And, you know, he had told me, he's like, once you get there, you'll be able to get uh, airborne school and ranger school. You know, it's automatic. Just, just, yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Just perform. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. So I did the delayed entry program. And then I, I wound up shipping off. First time I've ever been on an airplane, Pittsburgh to, to Atlanta. And, and I get Oof. down there and we go up to Columbus and I remember getting off the bus and I had, I had at the time I had blonde hair, which was funny or my wife calls it orange hair, which I wasn't with her at the time. But it, if you see pictures of me, it is kind of orangish. It's not, it's what, not. Was, it, was it natural or? Where was uh, it, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was say, I cer- no, I, I, I certainly dyed it, but uh, <laughs> I get there and of course they had a field day with me. And, oh yeah. Uh, you know, thankfully, about a day later, it was cut off, and all I could see was my my dark brown or black hair, whatever you want to call right. it. And so, went through and and did the the training there at Fort Benning, and you know, I thought it was tough. It wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't easy. It was you know, nineteen ninety eight. There, wow. I mean, the, the drill because I wound up becoming a drill yeah. sergeant later, and it was certainly harder then than it was in 04 when I became a drill sergeant. Yeah. Uh, it it was it was certainly harder then, but. It still was hard in 04, I would say. But anyway, I go through and do that. And then I, I get shipped out to Fort Riley, do my business there, and then get uh, sent on orders to Fort Stewart. Go to OIF-1. Nice. OIF-1. Stewart, Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so OIF-1, the, the one important story was about OIF-1, because th- this is actually a pretty good story. So OIF-1, I'm trying to remember who it was it replaced. I think it was 101st, I think, came in. And we were in a place called Camp Pennsylvania. And 101st came in because they knew we were maybe, maybe not going to war because they had the whole, you know, Bush telling mm-hmm. Saddam, you got to leave kind of yeah. thing. And uh, But when 101st came in, they were like, you third ID cats, you're going out in the desert. So it was like, okay. So March 1st, we got kicked out and we're, we're you, you're looking at the Kuwait border. Yeah, you're looking at the Kuwait Iraqi border and you're like, okay. so March 19th hits and we'd been living out here in the desert, you know, going and using the Porta Johns and getting, you know, the not great meals. Mm -hmm. So we (laughs) we uh, were out there and I remember playing spades. I was playing spades with like just like you guys have a bunch. We had like MRE boxes and we're. Oh, yeah. 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 We're, We're slinging spades and you see all of these MLRS. They raise their silos and you're like, oh, you know, maybe they're just testing. And if for those, I guess the audience multi-launch rocket system, which is these little, they're not little, but they come open and they have silos and some of them have 12, some of them have six packs. I don't know that all the nomenclatures of them, 
But they came open, and 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 so we all turned around and kind of looked, and we're like, mm, okay, what? Well, maybe they're just like lining up in case something happens, right. and then yeah. you just see, oh man, I mean, <laughs> and they start they start going. I mean, there's just hundreds of them going out, and they're going up, and then they're turning directions, and you're like. Oh shit! It's on, the yeah. On. So then, yeah, you know, and we didn't, we had no, we had no clue before that. Wow. And my my infantry brothers that that will see this, they know we had no prior knowledge that this. And then they said, you know, at this point, you know, get yourself in mop three and get ready oh. to roll. How and long so, were you staying in mop three? Oh, we were in mop three for, I mean, all the way up to up to Baghdad, oh, all the way to Baghdad, and then and then for an extended period once we were there. Uh, we were, terrible. and then eventually, they, you know, said said you know all clear, and we could we could get out of that. But that was so that that was OIF. Which and battalion I, was that? I uh, I was in at the time. I was in. What? Let me think. Give me two seconds to think that because I did not do the uh, two six nine armor. I believe. Okay. I could be wrong. If it comes back to me 100%, I, I will, because a lot of stuff has fell off the iceberg throughout the years, but oh, yeah. 269 armor, I think, was was our, because it was two, it was actually much like Afghanistan. It was two armor companies and mm-hmm. one Bradley company, which yeah. I was in the Bradley company, and uh, we so Make we went on. there and we you know <laughs> took care of business, and we, we come back, and I was actually hoping to kind of become a recruiter. You know, please don't shame me for that. But I was like, I was hoping to come to like Pittsburgh mm-hmm. so I could be close to my family and, and, and friends here because I was not yet married or anything. So uh, I was hoping to become a recruiter, but I get back and no shit less than two weeks from being back. S1 contacts me and they're like, hey, sir, nicely you need to come up here. Uh, we have orders. Drill sergeant school. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, like, all right, this is going to be interesting because I was so young. I was young. I was a young staff sergeant. I was, I was 22, you know, 23 years old as a staff sergeant. And it was like, did we're you sending six these and folks what, five like, years. Yeah. What's that? Six and five. Yeah. Six and wow. five for sure. Uh, yeah, we, I, it, that's one thing I did love about the infantry. It was, you, you made yeah, rank, quick. you know, f- fairly oh, yeah. quickly, but uh, they, they selected me for drill sergeant school. And then, you know, when I, once that happened, I was said, you know, okay, I'm going to have to probably be an actor because I'm typically, I'm a nice guy. Like it's hard for me to, hard <laughs> for me to be, really it's hard, hard, yeah, it's hard for, it's hard for me to be mean to somebody, but uh, that's exactly what I did. So I went down from 04 to 07 and, and I did uh, drill sergeant duty and I actually did I, let me back up just a second is the because the reason of why I became an Apache pilot was in OIF one. We were in a place called Karbala Gap uh, as we were pushing up to Baghdad. And I remember looking out the left uh, and at the time I was actually a Bradley gunner. I remember looking out the left and right and being like, and you're just seeing them. Now, a lot of the stuff was unmanned because they had deserted it, but you're just seeing these hellfires. And then you're seeing the result, yeah. you know, turret top busted, you know, maybe not on a like T-80, but on some of these smaller vehicles, you're just yeah. seeing turrets getting busted. And I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so how, sim- I, so this is actually pretty good. How similar is it with being a front seater in the Apache and uh, being a Bradley gunner? Cause I always felt like there was a lot of like similarities to that, but I've never been a Bradley gunner. That's actually, it's a very, no, it's, it, yeah, no, it is this. No, I will put it. It's the same. 
It's yeah. very well. I can't say the same, but it's very close not because flying, what you're yeah. doing is you're tracking targets, and ultimately you're getting a command of fire, and yeah. you're not responsible for that command of fire. You're you're waiting on the Bradley commander to say right. you're clear, and then yeah. and then you're able to engage, and that's kind of how it went for us, which we didn't have. I shouldn't say we didn't have a ton. Uh, we we didn't have a ton. I will say that, but we did have a decent amount of engagements. And, and my Bradley commander at the time, rolling up to Baghdad, he was he was great, and he he trusted me. And if I had something, he would just say clear, and then you, yeah, you, you awesome. know, we would engage. And uh, it was like the, that was there. like the golden hour like the of glory being a mechanized gunner, being a Bradley gunner. Yeah, it was awesome. And you know, the the thing that was crazy is we wound up because the the seven six two the M two forty Charlie it would take so much dirt and mm-hmm. sand on that it was almost unfunctional, and right. you're just sitting there just spraying this thing with COP trying to hope mm-hmm. that it, it's going to work because. Otherwise, I mean, you had, we had troops that were, cl- I mean, we had enemy troops that were close to us and it was like, okay, we're going to hit him with HEDP. And then when that didn't work, we're going to hit him with AP rounds. <laughs> and that's no, that's legitimately uh, what we did. I mean, you know, people, awesome. people could debate it, but that oh, is 1 million percent. What we did is when yeah. you ran out of HEDP, it was like, you, you're not going to go to the gun because the gun wasn't working. It was so gunked up with sand. I actually oh, really that, enjoyed being that, a Bradley Gunner. You know I mean, because I was I was a Bradley Gunner between deployments, so I was already I was disenfranchised with the uh, idea of being dismounted. So uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I just remember going to the ranges and be like, "This will be fun in real life." Just yeah, like no, it was a, it, it certainly was uh, it, it was a good time. I, I I enjoyed it. You know, I will always say that the I guess to contrast the two before I go ahead is is to contrast my Afghanistan and my uh, Iraq deployment, and then I have my I have one fake deployment that people make fun of me for, which was Bosnia. But yeah, it was a deployment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but to to separate the two, I would say Iraq. I certainly seen a lot more stuff, and I seen a lot more morbid things uh, mm-hmm. than I seen in Afghanistan. But I will say Afghanistan was both my I don't even know how to say this, but it was my my greatest moments in the army but it was also my saddest because when we, we and we'll i guess we'll get into that but yeah talking about when you have heroes heading back to kandahar that's a that's always a sad day so from from there from dr- being a drill sergeant i put my packet in to become a pilot and fortunately got accepted and and and, and we moved because it to me it was kind of an all or not it was a i either you know they either take me or I think I'm going to get out. Uh, I was just sick of jumping out of trucks and Bradleys. And so I said, flight school. And thankfully I got picked up on the first look, which was, which it was also, you know, it would have, it wouldn't happen today because I already had nine and a half years right. so that you're not getting a lot out of me. <laughs> you're going to get 10 and a half years and actually got, they got about 11 years out of me. <laughs> so, yeah. so they won, they won by a small margin, but that the whole point of it was as a senior NCO ish, uh, that you're not going to get the time that you want out of these guys. Cause they wanted a lot of street to seat guys. guys, but mm-hmm. I was able to, cause they wanted, I think they wanted to bring some discipline back to the warrant officer ranks because I know also, Curtis definitely will get this. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis will definitely get this, but I, I would say that you, like when you meet some W ones, you're like, you're in the army. 
because there's zero discipline. None. Zero. It's like having a private that knows how to fly. That's that's the equivalent. I'm pretty sure my commanders, well, they all loved me, but they also all hated me. So, like, I'll tell myself when I went to Afghanistan the first time, you know, they always say no open-toed shoes in the defects, right? Yeah. Like, like you have to wear, you can't wear open-toed shoes. That is what the sign said, no open-toed shoes. Well, I had some, like, Tevas that were closed-toed sandals. So I wore those bitches, the defect, and Sergeant Major's like, Chief, what are you doing? No sandals in here. He's like, these aren't sandals, Sergeant Major. They're close to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's funny. The rules they come up with, it's like uh, you can't go you can't go down to the shitter. Like I had a, a friend of mine that he had he was a big Seattle Seahawks fan and he, he would wear his like Seattle Seahawks stuff. And I'm talking you're talking like the RLBs, the the barracks at at Kandahar. And he would walk down in, in his garb and it was a hundred feet maximum. And then he would hear something about it the next day, like, why are you walking from upstairs to downstairs to go take a pee or poop or whatever? And, and, and you're not wearing army PTs. I don't know. To me, I never I never got that. Uh, he was wearing the, the, the Seattle Seattle pride. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I, I thought it was a little crazy that in the mention of in 2012 to 13, as you guys know, I mean, there was more engagements and there was. I don't want to misquote, but I mean, there was a lot of the amputees and a lot of deaths th- that mm-hmm. occurred. And it was like, this is what we're going to worry about. Yeah, that's what why? was so frustrating to me about that kind of stuff. Like, Yeah, no, it's know, like, yeah. well, why, why are we worrying about this right now at all? So anyway, then that's what that's what came of me. I went to flight school and then I got stationed in Fort Carson and Fort Carson. Uh, we were kind of the redheaded stepchild. Like initially we were got we began we like we were part of first uh, infantry division and then they had some issues when they were fielding their version four aircraft and 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 so we got pulled off of that and then we wound up ultimately we were half attack at one time they called us one two I remember that was one, yeah. yeah one yeah it was it was one two uh, attack battalion and then we ultimately became one two five and then we fell under the twenty fifth infantry division out of Hawaii and that was our 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 boss hmm. or our our home station but the problem was we were in colorado so there wasn't right. a lot of aside from the telecons that they were doing there there wasn't a whole lot of uh, stuff and then we got a little we had a jrtc deployment and then it was orders to our, uh, afghanistan that, that that's how i found myself in in in, in panjway this is when they were still moving aircraft around and cabs weren't really established. And like, they were still like the heavy cabs and the light cabs and the, they were. And it was, like I said, it was, it was super weird after, because the, when we, when I got back from deployment, it was a totally different thing, but we were, we mm-hmm. were 24 Apaches in Colorado with no other aircraft. So we'd like That's have so the wild. entire, the, the entire airfield. And it was like, absolutely, you know, it, I, I, I liked it. Because it sure, wasn't yeah. it wasn't yeah. dense airspace, uh, yeah, right. so I liked it. But we really didn't have a boss. Uh, we did, but not on station. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, so like fourth, your battalion fell under the infantry brigade. Yeah, like, so we want to fund We want to fall under twenty fifth cab. Oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry, twenty fifth cab. I yeah. might have said twenty fifth ID. I meant twenty fifth cab. I, I gotcha. misspoke. But yeah, twenty fifth cab wound up being our our boss, which was. A Out blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was Hawaii it, slash Alaska. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was good, and we were able to get out to 
uh, JRTC. We worked with them a little and, and I'll get into this as we get into Afghanistan, but like, you know, there was a lot of, you know, when you talk Apaches and Kiowas back in the day, there was a lot of, there was a lot of just pushback on one another. Like my aircraft's better than yours. No, my aircraft's better than yours. Yours is a remote control. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So back back before all the Kiowa pilots, a lot of that happened. And, uh, I'll talk about that as, as we, as we get into Afghanistan, because really we did that JRTC deployment. It wound up being okay. It It was good. We met some of the folks and, um, I actually met, well, I didn't meet, meet him then because I knew him from flight school, but that's when I met Avery. So I knew Avery Johnston, which you nice. guys had on before. Uh, I knew, but I knew him from flight school, and I, I met up with him down in JRTC, and it was it was good to have, be able to have dinner with him and you know talk about what what's going on. And you know, yeah. he was no intention of being an Apache pilot. He didn't. He had no <laughs> clue that uh, later in life he 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 would uh, become one. But. <laughs> We we did the JRTC thing, and then you know January uh, of 2012, we headed off to Kandahar. So when you guys got uh, boots and or wheels on the ground in Kandahar, how long did it take for you were flying missions, getting engagements? Was it right off the bat? No. So for me, it was a there was a there was a transition period, and for me, I was one of the last to be able to do it, and I can't remember exactly what they called it when when they we were just they they were doing a handover with us, and, and I was one of the last, and the reason why was I was a, a the what they called the supply geek, so I was no. like. I had to do now it, it I had me in good line to become a pilot in command, but I was doing all the layouts and stuff with the commander. So I was kind of January, I would say we got there, I think about January 6th or 7th. And, and then our guys took over maybe the 28th, but I was still kind of doing training to get the LAO right. and all that stuff, which I don't regret because at the time we didn't, there wasn't a lot of engagements going on uh, at right. the time. There was, there was troops in contact and there was a lot of things happening. And so what we had happened while we were there and Avery, he talked, I think he touched on a little bit, but when, when we first got there, it was, you know, 258 companies and an Apache company supporting you guys, the ground forces all throughout that AOR. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of just bumping of heads and, who's going to be the AMC, who's going to be this. And we, we wound up having a phenomenal Colonel and he eventually, I think it was actually probably before March, but it was, it was, I think late February where he basically was like, cut the shit. You guys are going to get along right. and we're going to, we're going to make this happen. And, and at that point he actually sent liaison officers, aviation li- liaison officers out to some of the fobs. And I don't know if you guys got one at Sperlingar or not. Nah, we were too I think you got a touchdown though. I think you guys got a, a 58 that landed in there and talked to, to folks. If I, if I Maybe. remember right, uh, it wasn't, but it was, it wasn't a, a 30 day or like it was, this also Saab. would have been before we got there. So if it was, if it was early in your yeah. deployment, we didn't get there till mid March. So mid March. Yeah. So yeah. You, you guys replaced the one. So I, I, I told Curtis yesterday in the pre-interview that I had a, a best friend of mine guy I lived with for a long time. He, he got blown up in July of 2011 and, yeah. and ultimately killed him secondary, which I was glad to hear on some of your podcasts. Like when you were talking about, Hey, we would just wait in a vehicle and then wait for EOD to get there because yeah. that's my buddy did not do that. He did not yeah. get killed on the initial. He got killed when he got out of the vehicle. He was a first sergeant and he ran up 
to help the driver of a of a vehicle and right in the I'm talking probably two miles west of Zangabad and yeah. he got killed and uh, I won't talk about it too much because I don't want to get emotional on your guest podcast but <laughs> nonetheless uh, to know where he he died was a driving force for me when, mm-hmm. yeah. when, when we were deployed there because I said I don't know if I could stop it, but I'll do whatever I can to help him. Sure. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, just, we're going to try to catch everybody up on acronyms and stuff as well as we go along. Um, uh, so uh, AOR, area responsibility. Um, so for we usually would call it AO on the ground. It was AOR for aviation assets. Um, AMC is an air mission commander. So typically aircraft, they go up in flights of two or sometimes three, and then in all those aircraft, you'll have a pilot in command and then a pilot. So there's one person's in charge of aircraft, and then in that flight, you'll have an AMC, which is an air mission commander, who's in charge of the flight. So it's not always the most senior person. Um, it's just the person that's particularly designated for that, um, you know, that flight. Yeah, so just yeah and, and for us, it was always, to. like, initially, there was kind of a little bit of a battle about that, like, Who's going to be in charge, the Apaches or the 58s? Well, the Apaches, we wound up becoming the primary shooter. So the the check on balance was, or the check on power was, okay, the 58 is going to be the air mission commander who gives the ultimate release authority. Because if you're the primary shooter and you have the release authority, mm. I mean, you can kind of see how that that could <laughs> potentially go south. Yeah. Uh, right, so, right. so there was always a, there was always two sets of eyes, or sorry, I'm, uh, there was multiple sets of eyes on the same object or objective, and then the 58s ultimately, and we wound up building trust o- over the the course of the year because, like I said, we were in fighting till probably February, March, and then we just became a steamrolling machine from March all the way till December when I left. And we were we were out there, and there was no issue. We had phenomenal relationships with all the fifty eight pilots. In fact, to this day, I'm friends with a lot of them. Uh, a lot of them got hosed because of uh, what they call it, uh, divestiture, uh, divestation, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it, divestiture that they did with the fifty eight. So those guys, there's some really good pilots that aren't in the army anymore. Uh, was there a particular moment where? You're, you guys kind of congealed and you really started to click or just kind of gradually come into the into the fold? No, I mean, it, it actually happened kind of over. It was kind of like we had a pilot's brief and, and, and the colonel that was in charge was mm-hmm. like, basically, as I just said, I mean, he was said, you know, cut the shit. We're here to support the ground troops, which is what we were there to do. And right. I understood that not necessarily as much, you know, I'm not saying, but just because I was a ground guy that I understood it more. But I certainly took it to heart because I said sure. that is what we're here to do. We're here to stop seeing every day our troops get killed. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we have to risk us getting shot down, it is what it is. But we're, we're here to, to help the ground force. And uh, it actually happened pretty immediate. And then after that, it was there was really no there was not a whole lot of back and forth with with, you know, there's a couple incidents between 58 and 64 pilots. But I, I would call That's it major. minimal. Yeah. Now, the. uh you know, this is a really important part when we talk about combat in Panjoy because, you know, we were very lucky that CAF was right there. Mm-hmm. We had Passab right there. You guys had refuel and rearm capability really close, which kind of contrasts with some of the mountain um, deployments like uh, like out of JBAD or up into the Kunar and stuff like that, where they might have to wait 30, 40 minutes for air support. 
we had the ability to get it very fast. So whereas their firefights were very, like, they were lesser, but way more, way longer, our firefights were usually, you know, very hit and run with a decent amount of firepower, but very, very short, because we'd be like, hey, troops in contact, and then somebody's overhead, and they're like, ah, fuck helicopters, and they run off, and they then they go fuck with somebody else on the other side of the river, and then you're jumping over there, so, you know, for us having you guys there meant that we never really got into a super, super bad situation except for very few times. Um, and then, you know, but having you is more of a deterrent. Yeah, no. So I, I always thought when I was there, I always thought that, you know, for the most part, the troops in contact, you know, while there was people that were injured, wounded and, and even killed, that was kind of a lesser threat than the IEDs because sure. what would happen, and I don't know that you guys concur, I, I guess I'll get your guys' thoughts on that, but as far as IEDs were a bigger threat than small arms, and because of yeah. the exact example you just gave, within five minutes, we were probably on station right? because yeah. we had aircraft in the air essentially 24 hours a day all the way through the night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, the, the thing was like, like you said, actually in our company, I think all but two of our KIAs were from small arms, but it was like these like rare one-off instances that you could never possibly plan for, like a bullet striking just above the vest or, you know, through a side in the armor or like through the perfect slat of the armor of an MATV kind of thing. Like, you know, kind of, kind of freak accidents if you really want to look at it that way. Whereas the IEDs was just, they were everywhere. They drove our tactical decisions. They drove you know, our mission planning. You know, we did lose two guys to an IED. And but more than the loss, like even if a guy just loses a leg, man, that fucks everything up. And it's super it, it, it's a huge deal. Like the yeah. amputees, uh, I, I, of course, you always hate to hear, you know, three or four heroes loaded in a, in, in, in a Black Hawk uh, headed back to Kandahar because we all know what heroes are. And that for the audience, that's a that's a that's a soldier that gave his life for his country. But you would also hear five wounded or six wounded and it was it was an every i won't call it every day it was almost nearly almost, every day you're yeah. seeing this and it's just you would go back at the time i would just compartmentalize and 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 do what it is that we have to do as apache pilots uh to, to maintain security and help the forces but it did for me and i think a lot of my brothers uh that that serve with me they certainly would go back and, and have those pains at night because it sucked because you're thinking about what would, you know, what is this person's life going to be like now? What's it going to yeah. be like? They just lost two legs and maybe an arm or one leg. I mean, it, it really was. No, it's a it's a it's a life changing event. And then you would we would you know, I would we would call. There was times that we had called rule three over a calf to check on somebody and there was a couple occasions where somebody bled out and it was, uh, you know, wound up becoming a hero and it's just, it was heartbreaking. And you just were like, what can we do better to try to stop this? And really the only thing we could do, which became a tactic for us was coordinate with the units. Yeah. Coordinate with Spermangar, coordinate with Sangabad, coordinate with, see a coordinate with Basab and, 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 and make sure they understood that, Hey, if you see somebody doing some nefarious activity, how do you talk to us? Right. You don't have to give us a five line CCA report. You just tell us where your friendlies are and where the target is, and we'll figure it we're, out. We're, we're going to be able to, to 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 more than likely service that target, depending on where they are in relation to 
uh, CivCast kind of considerations. I think that was one of the the major boost for us because you know you would talk to our guys on the ground. You'd be talking to our RTO, our Fister, whoever had the radio, our, our lieutenants, and so that direct line of communication, unlike the typical thing of having to work your way through however many layers, was really handy, and it made us feel good to you know and hear Dark Horse come on station. Especially Dark Horse, that that call sign always yeah. had a lot more credence with it. Yeah, no, no, Dark Horse. We we became, I, I think, by March April time frame, which was when you guys were kind of getting in there. We we had we had kind of got the skill of, of of how how do we work with these ground forces and the unfortunate thing for for troops in contact like your guy like yourself because I know I worked a few for certainly for Spurwingar and 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 mm-hmm. a lot from Sia Choi and even for Pasab. The problem was when you guys would take fire, these people are all during fighting season, they're all in the wood line. And it's like, even with the flare, it's hard to see them. But what we could do is dump down rockets and and shoot 30, which I've done in in my, the people, the folks in my company and and the 58 pilots would put down rockets in, in, in 50 cal. And those, a lot of times it would stop for the ground forces because it's like, do we want to go against this air power and, and continue to try to fight? Mm-hmm. I can't speak to as what you guys seen on the ground. I can only speak to usually what, what they would say is, Hey, it is, it is stopped. And it wasn't every time because sometimes you had some, uh, dedicated Taliban slash whatever you want to call them, terrorists that were out there trying to get you guys. And, and they would, they would just keep going no matter what we did. But and that was that was that happened sometimes. I mean, there yeah. were there were definitely different factions of the Taliban, and it's pretty clear. I mean, there were the ones that were like you know the farmer and his teenage son who got paid a hundred bucks to shoot at us every once in a while. Yeah. But there were a few times when you know when you know that you're being chased down your patrol and you're being set up into multiple ambushes or you're getting hit from multiple positions and you're like, well, there have to be at least fifteen fighters here and they're coordinated. So it's it's very different. And those guys tended not to leave when you guys came overhead. You had to start, somebody had to die before they, they withdrew. Um, or you had to put rockets in a field next to them or 30 Mike on a field next to them, which is another effective strategy you guys did, which was, you know, kind of off, um, off the X fires into an open field just to, just to get rounds out. Turret. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that was, I mean, you know, for, for me, I, I liked, we, I didn't get to do it a ton. Uh, there was a few times I was able to do it where a wood line was occupied with certainly you could see it was two way rifle range between, right. you know, the Taliban and <laughs> bad guys and, and U.S. forces, two way rifle range. But you could see muzzle flashes coming out of the wood line and you're right. able to go and dump rockets. And whether or not we killed anybody, I'm certainly we, we wounded people. We may have sure. killed people. I don't know. But it was it always was good to hear when the U.S the RTO would be like, okay, because the thing was, is when you would sometimes when it was heavy and I know you guys been in heavy situations cause you guys lost a lot of people and I'm not, I mean, that is yeah. tragic. Um, but the, sometimes you would talk to the RTO and they're so overwhelmed and that's yeah. where I kind of get the, because I understand it. When yeah. you're going through crazy stuff, it's like it's pretty hard to say this is exactly what I want you to do. You're just pretty much saying, I'm trying to keep cover. Put rounds on target, please. Yeah. And we're like, but we got to know where you're at. We got to know where you're at. And then they would usually do a pretty good job or that or we could figure right. out, you know, where they're at based on what we were seeing and, and then help. Because that's all you want to do as right. an Apache guy was help 
Well, that's one thing that, you know, I, I, I tell people this and they don't always believe me. It was like being on the ground first, being an infantryman, being a Cav Scout, and then becoming an Apache or, or a Scout pilot is such a world of difference. Like you're, everybody eventually catches up, right? Like even if you have no ground experience, you do enough deployments, you get really good. But like, if you're like a junior pilot and you go into a toilet, a deployment as an Apache pilot, but you've been on the ground, you're like way up here above your peers that have never been on the ground, just in terms of your your tactical expertise and like how do you talk to an RTO? What does what he is- see on the ground? What is he expecting? What does he need? You know, and whereas a a brand new guy has no ground experience, he's like, ah, he's looking at prods and he's reading a nine line or he's trying to read. It's one million percent, and and I cannot even come close to living up to what you guys because in OIF one, we we had lost some folks, but I mean, what you guys went through only because I was there over top. I mean, there was the the casualty. I mean, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. IEDs constantly under. Small arms fire, and and I told you that last night, uh, Curtis, in the in the pre-interview. I mean, what you what you two guys have been through. I mean, that is insane to me. I was just thankful to be able to help to make it less for some of the other units in the area, and and not yeah. only that, and make sure that at least the two of you were able to come back with everything working. Because uh, it that no that that haunted me daily, and there was yeah. a an instance. I'll give you an instance that. I was down in Spinbowl Deck, if you guys are familiar, but it's very, it's very in the south. It's yeah. uh, next to the Pakistan border. Mm-hmm. We go down there, and I had a, a friend of mine that was. I was not a pilot in command yet. This was very early on the deployment, and we we go in and invert an IMC. So we wound up, and what that means is we go into the clouds unintentionally. Aircraft control is nearly lost it actually was lost for a little bit and we were able to recover and and, and get out of it by nothing other than god's will because we didn't we did not do and curtis you'll be familiar with that but we did not do what you're supposed to do like i i just took the the controls and and got speed and (laughs) oh god (laughs) we wound up being able to we wound up being able to nurse that thing back to spin bulldog and being Uh like oh and i remember landing and it was like february and i was like i said shit man i I think I want to be back in the infantry. <laughs> this sucks, man. I was like, this is absolutely yeah. terrible. I don't want to fly in this kind of shabby. Like, that was a, a, a real threat of death because I was expecting yeah. to hit a mountain. And unfortunately, not the, a good the, place the, to go the individual that I was with, he was one of the guys that died in a career crash later, uh, Brandon Smith. So I pay oh, my man. most respect he was in my to company. him. Yeah, uh, he was a, a great dude. But he, mm-hmm. yeah, we we had that scary moment, and I remember we got back and oh my gosh, big man. old hug at Kandahar, and uh, that was kind of how that went. And then that's crazy because that's that's how he ended up passing. It was he was in really really poor weather conditions. No, that was the saddest part for me is that we had a. He, I thought he had already had his kind of his close call, his close call. his close call. Oh, but he was man. with another SP, so I'm guessing that had probably gave him a little bit of comfort that he was with another very senior right. pilot, and he was like, yeah. "Yeah, but no, it broke my heart. I mean, it absolutely broke my heart for him and and his wife that is a is a friend of mine to this day, and so uh, pretty wow, crazy." Man. Now I will tell you, I, I was thinking about like with the ground forces when we would do the conversations with them, we would talk to. Uh, do you remember where Bellum Bay was? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So Bellum Bay, we would talk to these folks, and and 
Doom was their call sign. Doom Zero mm-hmm. Two would be like the guy we talked to all the time. Right. But I we would know. go out, and they had they were pretty swoopy at what they did because they only had about a two three hundred meter stretch that they would arm up, and then they're out of the engagement area because now they're next to buildings that you don't know if right. they're occupied or not. So Apaches can't shoot. You know, they they became aware of our tactics. So right, right. But we go and. I was with a, a, a young, fairly young guy, but he was really talented pilot, especially in the front seat. And we would go and he would call them like the night before our mission and be like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And so he would always tell me like, Keith, we got to go over. And I'm like, all right, we'll go over. So we go over and sure enough, here comes up old dude and his moto, his moto and he, he arms up an IED and front seater. Of course, we got clearance to fire. We fire. Boom. It's like, okay, got him. That, that was a pretty cool shot. Three days later, it, it wasn't even the next day. Cause I think I used to tell a story that it was not, it was not the next day. It was like two, it might've been two or three days later. They replaced that guy with a new guy that was doing the same route. And I'm not kidding. I have, I mean, the, the videos, I don't have them. The videos are out there. Mm-hmm. It looks like the same video. Adam, <laughs> the guy I was with, did the same. He called. They were like, "All right, we'd be loitering out, probably 10k in." They're like, "All right, he's doing it." We'd come in back. It looks like the same shot. You you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two. It was the is like it reminded me of like idiocracy. It was like, okay, <laughs> your dude just got smoked doing that, and you're gonna do the same thing, and then you got smoked in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was yeah, kind of yeah. like a, a thing for an RAOs. These guys would have their little routes. And they stuck to him religiously, you know. Yeah, and they, it was funny. There was one guy who had mastered his route in that he could cut the gaps, gonna uh, jump into a building, you know, because he knew the, the birds were watching him. And uh, somebody, I think it was Vancouver, made his like personal mission to get this dude get this an Apache guy, yeah. on this guy. And it was the same thing. Apache just come and wait in the evening, and here he'd come, you know, after evening call or whatever, he would come around and do his little loop, and they finally got him. But they were, they were creatures of habits. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. they were. And we had, and I think Avery brought them up, but I was talking to my friend earlier and, and we were talking about, there was a, I don't know what you want to call it, a short person, uh, if you will. Yeah. 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 The yeah he was talking about the short person. That's a real thing. Like, and yeah. I, I had, I had seen that cat before yeah. we were never in a position to, to be able to engage, but he was like a short person with like some serious pull and like he was like he was like one of the ied cell leaders so he had like some some ass behind him and you're like we are always looking to get him but there was just never an opportunity and then when you just said nicknames because like the nickname thing makes me it makes me die laughing and i was unfor like unfortunately for me i didn't get one of the nicknames but we had a guy that he was just what you just said like he knew where to be Mm-hmm. How to not get killed, mm-hmm. have a woman, a child, or whatever with him. And then he winds up making a mistake. And again, I wasn't on the crew, right. um, but a friend of mine was. And he, and the ground forces, of course, they're talking him on. And they're like, this is the time to get him. And we called him, well, first of all, we, we started calling him the whale. And then his name transitioned into Moby Dick. So I we, think this is the same guy. Yeah, yeah. We, so I'm we called certain. Yeah, yeah. So we called him Moby Dick, and no, the guy that hit him, it was I'm not. It was an eight kilometer. I think actually it was eight point one kilometer 
hellfire shot and it's like autonomous oh yeah 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 it's like oh man and you just see it's a tiny little little yeah it's just tiny little motorcycle that just gets bigger and bigger but wham Moby Dick. Oh man, guy got so the white way. Nah, he but he no, he had a, he had a good run. He had a five uh-huh. six month run five, where six, we yeah. he, I think eyes were on. But guy. yeah, because yeah. those those folks are. <laughs> he, there was like this one field that they're like, if we if we catch him crossing this field, sometimes he crosses <laughs> yeah. it, sometimes he doesn't. But if he crosses it, we can get him there. But it's like the one weakness in his little route, and he would they'd be like, oh, we got him, we got him, we got him. Nope. Ah, oh, fuck. He took the. There's a kid. Or oh, fuck. There's. He oh, yeah. up with his buddy. We cannot PID. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. No. And we, we have one. This is probably my favorite story from that whole deployment. Aside from you know saving U.S. lives, is we had a guy. We were at. If you guys are familiar with Gundyar, where that was at. I've heard it's it's north of the river, right in Zari. Yeah, it is. Kind of it's north, north of the river. It's in the north of the river in Zari, but it's not. Yeah. Pasab. It's not. It's not far. I guess in no, flight like five uh, on flight. ground, yeah. it would probably be. A little bit further, but we're we're up there, and and this is early on. This is like February, so I'm a, I'm a complete noob to the area. Like I right. had no, I had a little bit of experience as a pilot, but I I was still I wasn't a pilot in command, but I was new. And our fifty eight sees this guy, and he's like rolling this wheel of wire across a road. Okay. Little bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> there's no legitimate why? reason to do that. Yeah, there's like <laughs> why not putting in fiber optics? On it. Yeah, like no. why would you be doing that? So he's putting the, he's putting the wire in, and he goes down, and he's he's tying it up to the uh, whatever he's tying it to, and and we're we're trying to get clearance to fire because our 58 it wasn't us. He found it when he put us on it, and we were able to get it on video of of what he was doing. But it was like, okay, this is this is you know pretty crazy. This guy is certainly an idea in place or we should have clearance to kill him. And this is yeah. February. We haven't meshed well yet with the ground troops, but we're work we're trying to work this to 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 hopefully save some lives and, and also get this guy off the battlefield. So what happens is they eventually clear us to engage this guy because he kept going around people that were non combatants and it was just like but then he goes off on his own and, and we get clearance to fire. So we go and shoot and it was the most atrocious 30 millimeter shots you've ever seen. It was me. I was in the front seat. It was, they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. I hit like a few of them hit them, but like I had a lot of rounds that were, were not in the area and it was like, Oh, that was terrible. But we thought we killed him because there was, there was like four or five rounds that, that, that landed on him. So we're like, all right, he, you know, he's dead. Mm-hmm. So at the time, and I'm sure you guys probably remember, you would t- sometimes see the 58s. They would come down to like 50 feet because we were trying to get really clear BDA pictures. So mm-hmm. uh, they would come down. And so the 58 goes down and, and they're taking snapshots of this guy. And it legitimately, and to explain to people that don't play Call of Duty, because I told Curtis this last night, the guy goes into last stand mode. He lifts up his mandress. <laughs> He pulls out an AK, and this oh, is man. one million percent truth. He he cocks the AK and he starts shooting at the at the fifty eight. And we're of course my pilot in command is yelling at him, Mike. He's like, you know, you guys need to move, move, move. And and they heard it. And and I later talked to the fifty eight pilots, and he said his butthole was through the rotor system because they could hear it <laughs> zipping, <laughs> um, the side. Because we know we all thought he was. We all thought this guy was dead. Yeah, right? I mean, so, who wouldn't? So right. anyway, I I'm on him, and I'm like, can I fire? Can I shoot? Can I shoot? Can I shoot? Can I shoot? And and my backseater, thank God, 
was like, no, 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 Keith, wait, 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 wait. Because the problem was the 58 was in my gun target line. Mm. So I would have wound up if I shot when I wanted to, because my SA, I was just focused on him. I wasn't mm-hmm. looking outside. I would have, we would have wound up shooting the 58 down uh, if, if I would have shot initially, but I waited just like my, my backseater told me to. And then, and then we smoked the guy, but it was just, it was crazy. And then we get some general sees it and they, they, they put us in for our comms with V actually, I think, I think he might've put us in for air metals. I don't know what he put us in, but we want to get our comms with V for it. But it was just like the only reason this happened is because of my shitty marksmanship <laughs> with thirty millimeter. So it was, uh, it was a little bit funny. We did not. Now I will say, Curtis, to to my benefit, we we never did get to go harmonize. So the gun, I don't know, but I, I, I'm gonna blame it on myself. But it's a Delta model, man. Those are usually pretty. Reliable. Yeah, things are usually pretty accurate. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it, it was it was certainly on me. It was my first engagement over there. Yeah, man, well, I, you know, he, just, maybe that guy just had a. He, he was just that was he was gonna go out like a champ. Well, no, it's, he one hundred percent did, yeah, and, yeah. and and Inch if you're along. able to if you're able to ever see the video, it is really because it, it's it's legitimately Call of Duty last stand mode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he awesome. pulls yeah. the thing is like he's already ready. like mortally wounded. You know but he pulls the AK out. He was like, like, yeah, more power to him, man. He was ready. Prop, to props do. to him. Yeah, yeah, he was ready. Uh, to it go it to brings the up paradise. a good point when you talk about the thirty millimeter cannon on the gun, and everyone they always see like thirty like Apache videos, and they're like. Can't these guys hit shit? They're going everywhere. Mm. We're going to take a moment and explain what the 30 millimeter cannon is. It is not <laughs> a sniper rifle. It is an area weapon. You know, yeah, it's so not it's, a point weapon system. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it actually has the capability to be that accurate, but that's by design not supposed to do that. It's supposed to shoot in a, like a little area. It's supposed to have dispersion because they are exploding rounds. They're not, they're not just bullets. They're little tiny grenades. So the idea is you pepper a small area with all the shrapnel, so like, it's going to happen. It's it's not designed to hit people. It's designed to shoot armored vehicles. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and folks don't get it. No, and it's like, just they can't like hit the... shit. I'm like, calm down. Listen. <laughs> yeah, Linda. no, and it's just like the 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 rockets. Like people expect rockets to hit exactly, and it's like the rockets when, when you have unguided rockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, anybody's can, guess. Pilots, <laughs> yeah. pilots have a say, but like you're not driving, you're not no. driving it within five meters. Most aren't. I mean, maybe you're able to, but it's it, now it's, you it's, can though. Well, now you APK can. Yeah, APKWS. Yeah. You're gonna. It's 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 much like a Hellfire. So you're right. you're able to do that, and mm-hmm. and that's kind of common knowledge because I I didn't want to yeah. cross the the border of, of me saying something that's you know classified <laughs> I, that's I, not I'll, but, I'll but APK yeah APKWS yeah. I don't think I think that's pretty, it's pretty common, common yeah. knowledge that yeah laser, laser guided rockets which is funny when I hear people say that it's like so you mean a missile no it's a laser guided <laughs> yeah, rocket it's like to, if it has guidance yeah. it's a missile <laughs> yeah <laughs> but for the uh, for the audience APKWS is just it's a it's a kit that attaches to the front end of a normal rocket like you can take one off the shelf and you can put this like yeah, kit on there and it turns it into a guided missile. System. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's an awesome so cool. thing. And and I don't know if we're going to keep buying them. And they are expensive, but they're really they're worth expensive. it because they have the target. It's like what thirty thousand dollars or something for the each kit. Oh, I, I wish I knew. I don't. I don't know. So, it's it's something absurd. How much does a Hellfire yeah. cost? Hundred grand. God, hellfires I are expensive. When you start getting into the, the new, the, the the newer hellfire, they're they're even more expensive. Yeah. But yeah, hundred hundred grand is like for like your basic kilo model fragmentation. Nothing's nothing, nothing fancy. fancy. 
Yeah. Mm. Like your your November models, which are like the uh, the thermobaric uh, overpressurization Sexy. rounds, those are a good bit more expensive. Yeah, that makes sense. But they are cool as shit. <laughs> uh, now, I, I will say the – so a lot of times with troops in contact, when we would get it, and then we would have troops in contact, and then they, they, you guys, they would be moving. Whether it was you guys or or a different unit, they would move. And when they would move, that's when an IED would occur. And it was right. like, yeah. that's when you would see the things to me that haunt me, like to this day, is you would see MRAPs potentially burning or vehicles burning, and you're like, and there's nothing right. we can do. Because yeah. it was pressure plated. So it's like, you can't, it's not like back in OIF one when, okay, dude on the overpass, kill him. Cause right. he's the dude yeah. that's, he's got that, thing, that, that, yeah. yeah, that, that was how they did IEDs back then. But in, in Afghanistan, no, they had, it was all pressure plated. Mm-hmm. And so you don't know who the guilty party is. And especially if it's outside of balloon or PGIS coverage, mm-hmm. I just remember seeing burning American vehicles and just being, Oh, as mad as you mm. can imagine a person being. Um, as mad as you guys were when, when you were there and, and losing friends. I mean, I was, I don't know that I was, I was so mad that I just wished that there was something that we could do to, to, to stop it from happening. Because there, was. there was like, it did yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. being overhead, man. Did, I mean, that, yeah, no, being overhead certainly helps. You know a ton, but yeah, no. When I, when you see burning MRAPs and, and burning vehicles yeah. with U.S. troops that you know are in there, yeah, and even on the ground when you see it, or it's your it's your damn squad members or your team members or yeah. whatever it is, it's like that is that's something that is with you for life. And I mean, it's 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 hard it's hard for me to deal with. I have a little bit of issues with it. I'm I'm trying. To, I got a little bit of treatment going on, but uh, you know, I'm not going to be one here to cry on the air so right i certainly I, I'm, I'm seeking treatment for some of it but yeah no it, it sucked that that's the worst part of that deployment mm-hmm. yeah you know smoking the bad guys was the easy part that's mm-hmm. the fun the part. hard part, the, was, yeah, was, part was watching mm-hmm. uh my, my my our ground forces go out there and do what they're supposed to be doing and did you guys ever do like the uh like like um like the dismounted route recons were like looking for rock formations or like trying to find stuff like that or was that mostly the kaya was doing that stuff Kiowas were, yeah. were mainly doing that. I actually have a, a, another fairly good story about a, the, the Kiowas. So we had, and I don't know, I, actually I'm, I'm, I'm sure that most folks that were over there when I was there is. So we, we wound up at Kandahar. We were, I was just taking off random night. No, no, no big issue. And a rocket it splashes into Kandahar. Um, we were already in the air and they're like, Hey, can you go the check balloon. out this poo? <laughs> no, yeah, the balloon. Yeah, check out this poo. And the balloon has eyes on one yep. rocket rail. They just put the thing on a rail with like a dryer mm-hmm. timer or whatever it was. Well, we wound up finding five of them. So we go and, and we shoot like we're shooting 30 millimeter on the, the first. We knocked off between us and the, and the 58. We knocked off, I think, the first three or four. And there was one remaining. And this some bitch would not go down. And it was just sitting on this rail and it was like, it just rock steady. 30 millimeter direct hit, nothing. Wow. We did rockets. 58 went into rockets, blah, blah, boom. They said, okay, move back. So we actually moved like 10 Ks off. 100% true story. Moved like 10 Ks off. 
They're like, all right, there's an AC-130 inbound. AC-130 comes in, <laughs> drops like a bunch of freaking 155s or whatever uh, their arsenal is. Yeah. And the damn thing is still standing. So it's like, oh, this is like the the little rocket that, the rocket that could. He, yeah, it wouldn't die. The little yeah, the little rocket that wouldn't die. So they yeah. they the the guy I was with a guy named Eric. Uh, he was a he was an IP and he was actually I was doing pilot and command progression. I was in the back seat. He was in the front and he comes up with this idea. He's like, because the the rocket you had to hit it going into Kandahar because there was a mound, and then. Like, yeah. here's how you had to hit it. Kandahar's back here. So mm. you couldn't come in from the other way. Right, right. Otherwise, right. you're not going to be able to hit it. You're so, the he, yeah, he comes up with this idea. He's like, we're going to do a diving hellfire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I'm cool because we were told you do you won't come back and land until these this rockets are gone, gone because yeah. they were concerned that, you know, they certainly somebody would be killed. So... They had, uh, I, I think that actually came from the general. I, I don't know if it came from his DCG or whatever, but it was, you will not come back and land for the night until that these rockets are, are, are done. So they should have just got the guy in the Kiowa to like run up next to it, hover, and just like push it over. No, yeah. no, that's so, no, you know what, what? The funniest thing you just said right now, and, and, and all the people that watch this that were in my unit don't know this story. Our 58 guy actually asked to do that. He's like, can I just land and kick it over? I'm not kidding. This is 100 cheaper. He no, he land. He 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 said, and Avery mentioned him in his podcast. But he he actually requests. He's like, um, can I just land and kick it over? And they were like, oh hell no, because they were thinking <laughs> it was gonna blow up. Or it's, you know, it's got secondaries. Well, around yeah, it when he kicked it over. So down yeah, no, he <laughs> we did have a 58 guy that asked that though, which That's was awesome. pretty. See, I was I was funny. always meant I was always meant to be a 58 pilot. Yeah, <laughs> no, he 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 one million percent was like, can uh, we can I just land and kick it over? And 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 they were like. Oh hell fuck no! no. <laughs> so they approved a diving hellfire shot though. That's awesome. So we went back and circled around, and I go into a dive, and you know, E Dilly or Eric, the, he goes into the he he does his shot, and and sure enough, the hellfire was able to knock it off. But we that's a lot of money spent on one rocket. On one rocket, yeah. But it potentially saved a life, so it, it, I think it's all good in the end. And to give an idea why a diving Hellfire has an advantage, the way a Hellfire's flight profile isn't just like a, a line. It comes out, it does a vertical climb, and then it comes into a terminal phase, and that's when the seeker's looking for the laser energy. Um, so most Hellfires, you have to, you actually have to coordinate, make sure that there's nothing above you in addition to below you, because it's going to do this. Because the idea is it's supposed to take out a tank. The weak part of the tank is the top of the tank. So it's supposed to come in vertical. But sometimes you have to do kind of weird stuff to force it to do these certain things. So if you do a diving hellfire, it actually does kind of shoot like it's a rocket, like straight off the rails. And so that's how you can. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I, I loved actually coming by. And, and we took this is a, actually another extremely funny story because he came to Spermangar. And I don't know if you guys were there when it happened. I can't remember, but. The sergeant major of the army had showed oh, up. Oh yeah, I was there. Ugh. Oh, you were there. Okay, oh, yeah. so our yeah. job we were we were we were we were trail on a sixty that was covered that guy, mm. and it, it's going to be funny in a second. So we, we're trailing this guy. He goes in, he lands, and you know I'm not I'm not going to be mean and, and disparage him by any means. But we go and we go to all these different Fuck fobs, him. and he lands. <laughs> so we get back and we get back to Kandahar, 
uh, at Mustang ramp and the Black Hawk pilots that, that we were chasing, they come over and they're like, Hey, Sergeant Major of the Army said he didn't have time to come tell you guys, but you know, thank you. And he gave, they gave us a coin. The Sergeant hey, Major of the Army I got one of those too. Yeah. So you're <laughs> no, but here, here's where it gets funny. You're like, all right. So I was, and I was with the same, actually I was with the same guy that I did the diving hellfire with E Dilly. Mm-hmm. So we go and uh, we drive back from Mustang Ramp to to our barracks, which is, you know, 35, 40 minutes, whatever it is. And we get back and we get one of the lieutenants or it might have been the commander, but they're like, hey, you guys need to go out uh, back to, to the ramp for to get a coin from the Sergeant Major. And I'm like, I already got one. And they're like, yeah, no, no, no. They're, they're saying you need to go out there like right now. And I'm, we're, we're like debating this with them. Like, we don't need to go back out. We already have it. We already got it. it it's all good. But they wouldn't. It was, I think it was a lieutenant, actually. It was just like, and we're like, fine, we'll just go out. So we go back out. <laughs> they give us another coin. <laughs> so, like, both of us got two Sergeant Major Sergeant of the Major. Army coins. Oh, yeah. And we tried to explain it, but they were just like, blah, 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 blah. I, uh, all right, dude, I'll just shut up and take another coin. Yeah, I, I, I remember that. I remember that visit. To that visit, in. yeah, no, that was yeah, yeah Sergeant Because it was the, the day yeah, after. Was, no, and he he, I didn't, I didn't actually even meet him. I it was his the the guy mm-hmm. that was making a big deal about it was his his like, aide, which yep. was like a either sergeant first class or uh, master sergeant. But they were like because he had told them make sure those pilots gets coin or get coins. Right, and he didn't. He wasn't tracking that we got him or something. Got him. I, I don't yeah. know. Either way, I wound up getting two of them. I gave one to my father-in-law, and it was uh, it was pretty good, pretty good deal. So yeah, the, he he visited like the day after we had like a really really, or maybe it was like a week after or something. We had a really bad mission. Uh, when we had a mass cal, we had a couple guys lose their legs, and they he did he 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 went to. Like the sergeant major of the army might have come to Sporwangar, and then like the general, like Odierno, went to Zangabad or whatever, and uh, they like they they flipped a coin my way. Like, hey, we heard you got your backpack got shot up, so here's a coin. Well, the sergeant major thought it was a cool story. Here's a coin. <laughs> yeah, and sergeant major Chandler, it's in a bag somewhere. Sergeant major Chandler. Yeah, you yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll definitely call that, that guy. Yeah, I'll he's, call that he's guy a piece out. Of shit. He was the one that was like, I'm going to ban all the tattoos because tattoos are unprofessional. It's like, I'm pretty sure our job is to kill people, and that's pretty professional. But, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, 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 no, no, no doubt. Uh, oh, so, God. yeah, no, and then, you know, I don't, you know, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm open to, to questions of, of what you guys have. I mean, I have more talking points, but you know, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you guys could maybe uh, push the podcast forward with questions that you got. Oh, we got tons. Um, when you when you were working with the with the Kiowas um, and doing specifically the pink teams or even even the heavy teams, um, what what was the best way that you kind of like split those assets? Because they they have different capabilities, right? You know, the the Kiowas right. can fly fly flow and slow. They have excellent you know visibility with their with their eyeballs, but they have pretty shitty optics in terms of like the MMR is nowhere near as good as the, the tads on the Apache. So what was the best way you kind of guys mixed the capabilities? So, so the main way we worked it is the 58, they would sometimes see things that, that we couldn't see and we would see things a lot of times they couldn't see, but the 58, a lot of times, of course, as you just said, they, they were flying low and we would get called in on an objective area and it would be, you know, Hey, there's a guy in a, 
a black man dress with white sandals or whatever. That's an example. That's not necessarily. Yeah. But it's hard for us to see that in the tads. Right. Mm. But in a 58 with naked eyes. Super easy. Yeah. That's 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 the dude. And 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 that's the person. And we need to engage that individual. And so they would come up and then then we would get clearance. And again, they a lot of times they were the. 99% of the time they were the air mission commanders. So uh, they would give us clearance. And so that's one way that they worked really well. And another way they worked really well is some of them were really, really, really good at rockets uh, and their 50 cal. So, cause you would hear sometimes, and I'm not making jokes at my 58 brethren, but we would go in and, and potentially there was one instance of a crew that, uh, or I'm sorry, not a crew, but a, there was a little IED and placing team that was, it was two of them and they had blown up a platoon sergeant. And I think two sergeants the day before, and they were walking down the same path. Uh, this is vicinity Passab. And so we go in and I'm with, I'm with a, a good friend of mine and we go in and it's 12 feet on each side of them. They're walking down this walkway. Yeah. So if you can imagine 12 feet concrete on each side, mm-hmm. they're walking down. It's like beautiful. It's made for. Oh, it's later. beautiful. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then that, that's the guy's clearance to fire. Yeah. Boom. It's the little shop of horrors. I mean, there's yeah. pieces everywhere. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, there, no, there legitimately is, but yeah. what's, what, what, what makes it even more funny and, you know, there's nothing funny about someone dying, but what's even more funny is the fifty the the, the coyote comes in and he's like, All right, we're coming in to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> clean what? No, so they shoot rockets and fifty cow, which you know, <laughs> as long as you did it on the inbound, you were good. Yeah. Right. You right. were good. Yeah. So you just wanted to make sure that those things but it was there was no question on that engagement in particular that uh that, that those individuals were were no longer with us. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that was actually one thing you know, shooting uh Aerial weapons in Afghanistan was always a challenge because the dirt was so soft. So it would like it would absorb a lot of the things we threw at it, like the thirty millimeter, you know, grenades. Essentially, you know, they would punch into the dirt, and you just have like pluffs of dirt coming up around these guys, but actually not causing them any damage. Whereas in Iraq, you know, you had concrete buildings, you had infrastructure. So when I mean, if it hit the concrete next to a dude, he was getting fucked up. Yeah, no, Afghanistan. No, you're you're right. You're right, and that's why we used a at least from from twelve to thirteen. I mean, we used a metric shit ton of hellfires. I mean, I I, I shot I a ton. It. Our task force shot a ton. A lot of fifty cal. Uh, we did do a lot of thirty. Now, if you were in a confined area like I was just talking about, I right? Mean, 30 yeah, gonna, thirty is gonna thirty is gonna smash yeah. you. It's perfect. But no, you're right. There was th- there was thirty millimeter engagements where almost like the first story I told you guys. When I tried to smoke that dude that, that went into last stand mode, I mm-hmm. it was it was going into the dirt and and he was not getting affected and a couple of them hurt him, but not enough to kill him. So he he came back and and did his thing. But yeah, no, the thirty millimeter in Afghanistan was not as not good as weapon. I would have hoped it to be. Did you guys have limitations on like which weapons you could use as far as the ROE? Like did you have could you like no, you could so use a thirty our, millimeter anytime or you had to request a hellfire or No, so well we I mean we would always get clearance because they would tell you say they would say example cleared thirty and rockets or cleared thirty hellfire. It was always ground force commander. But I will tell you the blessing that I had is our commander who's now a two star 
general, uh, and he, I'm sure he's going to be a four star. But our commander, the our colonel, he left it us to, up to us. How do you want to fly? What do you want to shoot? You just tell the ground forces what you want to shoot, and they usually would always approve it. If you said because you're request, the SME, yeah, if it, you request yeah. thirty millimeter two point seven five, they would normally approve it. There's right. a rare occasion where they would say ah, we don't want rockets, and the reason why is because dispersion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some pilots uh, get Rocket, those things. He starts slinging them. Yeah, yeah. He starts slinging rockets. Yeah, he starts slinging rockets, and and it's going to be a problem. But uh, for the most part, it was it was good. And I don't know. I just I, you know out, out there at, at Spurwingar, and I, m- I remember reading a book called The Lions of Kandahar when they took Spurwingar mm-hmm. initially. I mean, it's yeah. a amazing what you guys were doing out there the uh and i know that wasn't when it happened of course but right right holding that ground is it it was was always high million percent essential to owning the terrain it was which is ironic because when when kandahar fell you know a month ago um you know and i was talking to people behind the scenes like hey man spurlinger doesn't matter anymore like it's not important to the nationwide defense of afghanistan it was important to hold panjway but we're talking about like holding Afghanistan. They're like, yeah, Spurwinger was one of the first places to get taken over by Taliban. They, they didn't even try to defend it. And that to me, that was so mind blowing. Cause like when we were there, like if we didn't have Spurwinger, like we could not, like, it wasn't even an option. You had to own that. It was the high ground. But you know, when you're talking holding the city of Kandahar or holding the city of Kabul, like Spurwinger didn't matter. And for me, that was really difficult to process because of how important it had been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any Sparrowgar specific memories, Key? That stick out uh, to you. My the, the, my main my main ones that I have from Sparrowgar are one dropping the Sergeant Major off there, but two outside of Sparrowgar, in between Sparrowgar and I don't even remember the other cop that was or the other fob that was out there. There was an Afghan National Police area that was between Sparrowgar and the next. Uh, to the west or to the east? To, to the east. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. So like, there was a an A and P station there, there. Mm-hmm. and so this is my main memory of of. And, and we we supported a lot of Spurwingar missions, but this one comes into mind because it was the Spurwingar folks that were talking us on. Yeah. So we're I'm I'm out, we're way out to the west, and uh, I'm with I'm, I'm with this captain, and and we're flying, and uh, I think I was actually the pilot command. He might have been. I don't remember, but. I was in the front seat. I do remember that. And we are out here. We're way out. And they're like, hey, we have six Afghan National Police. They just murdered the police captain. And they have moved out. And they're now, like, basically engaging the Afghan National Police Station. So you're like, we're, no, we're, we're, and we're like 12 minutes out. But you're, I'm like licking my, I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. If, if this is actually occurring and it is on, because we would get calls like that from time to time. Like there's eight people in the open that are engaged. Cause, and then again, you got to get PID and all the stuff. So, so we go over and, 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 uh, the, the, my backseater, he's, he's hauling butt and we're going over. As a matter of fact, actually, I think I was in the backseat. I said I was I was in the back seat, and so I'm hauling ass over to this place, and uh, the captain in my front seat, he's just like, "All right, you know, we're at eight, not seven, eight Ks, and you're Stop now starting to see people yeah. pop out, and you're like, oh, and then you can see 
like unaided, you could see rounds going this way and rounds coming this way. So it was like, okay, the rounds that are going towards the police station, those are the bad guys. They're like, right. yeah. Okay. So we go in and here's what makes this story actually really, really funny. You know, the, those six, we the, we service like three of them. We prosecuted three or four of them uh, on the inbound. Because two of them decided to go in this little cove, which they thought was an I- a good idea, but he had them in the fleer and yeah, um, dumped the rounds in there, and and of course that, that they were dead. But then after that, they scrambled, and so they're running, and they're running in this abandoned village. And this is mm-hmm. again 100 percent true story because people are going to watch this that yeah. have been deployed and they've heard this story. So our 58. He had ran out of smoke because we had already he had he had already marked like one or two targets and they were out of smoke. And the only thing he had left, because he's like, the guy is right in this building. We need to just level the building. And the only thing he had left was two hard boiled eggs for breakfast. So he's in a 58 and he friggin chucks these two hard boiled eggs out and we watch him and, and like, oh, shit. And then. There we go. Boom, boom, boom. We got him. Awesome. Hard-boiled eggs. Marking True story. Hard yeah, hard-boiled eggs. eggs to mark targets. Because they were out of smoke. They they usually had two smokes or three smokes or whatever yeah. they had. But no, he marked a target. Awesome. And I know this guy to this day. Like He's still yeah. in the Army and he's and I hope, I hope he tells that story at the VFW. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the story. Yeah, yeah. I marked a target with hard-boiled eggs. eggs. He did. I wonder 100%. if that's the only time in, in Army aviation history that was ever done. One million percent true yeah. story. He <laughs> marked a target with hard-boiled eggs from wow. his breakfast that he didn't eat. Uh, and, and, no, and then we smoked the guy. So it was, it was actually excellent. So it wasn't a waste. This dude's no, last memory no, 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 is no, no, just no, hearing no. eggs It was not a waste. Like, what the fuck was that? He <laughs> like, just sees like two eggs fall yeah, from him. Like, is, oh, is, grace be uh, a law. I will eat today. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's funny, especially when, when, I, when I see him in person. It's, a, it, it's a always – that's the first story that we talk about because it's, it's a – it's such a funny story. I mean, that'd be oh a great God. t-shirt of a, of a 58 coming in. And two <laughs> coming eggs, in, dropping two down. eggs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is 1 million percent what he did. He, he, uh, he dropped eggs and and we laid rounds down. But The best part about it is I know exactly what you're talking about. I know the abandoned village. Yep. Like I know the, the checkpoint. It was like this big, wide open area in the middle of Panjway. And there's like these little... It was yeah, and there was just Taliban like cops. six, seven random dudes that decided to, they, they killed a police chief and they were like... They went back and they just started bring some firing spice. on the Jesus, on the a, on the A and P, and it was like I, to be honest, I you know we would do missions with Afghani's often, not necessarily pilots, but like when we would do there was a mission going up north called Marmar, and it was nothing more than they're looking for weapon caches, but it would be Afghan national uh, special forces. Yeah, the and so we would go over and we would hang out with the 60 pilots and there would either be SAS or sometimes there was RSF or whoever it was. Yeah. But the mission was they would be on the 60 and they would go up there. And, and I remember talking to the Afghan Special Forces guys and I was like, I mean, to me, they, I mean, they, they're legit. They, they, they were good. It was yeah. good conversation. I enjoyed them. I, I thought they were friendly and they're competent. Yeah, yeah. The, but then anyway, the the thing that happened was I don't know if you guys remember Aussie Seven Two, 
when that happened, mm. which was 16 August of 12. You guys were there, but it was the Blackhawk that got shot down. They, they were in our task force. Was that the one that was shooting at the um, the radio relays that got shot no, down? No, this was the one. They were basically just looking for weapon caches. They got a little bit low, oh, and then yeah. somebody came out, and they did multiple RPG fire, and, and, and it brought the aircraft down. Yeah. Uh, so then this is where I was. They actually called. They called a fallen angel, and I was in. We were, I was flying. I, I don't I was actually, I think, east of Passab, mm-hmm. and... They basically told us to stay out because they already had a, like a stack being right. built, and right. they they found they know they found they wound up finding every single one of those son of bitches and killed them. They right. they killed every there was seven of them responsible, but they found the video. They videotaped it. Wow. They videotaped this shoot down of the sixty, and it, it killed you know six or eight of our people, and then some Afghan partners as well because it was seals, and uh, that was Aussie seven two. They were it was a. A mi- wow. But it was a routine mission that we did yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, a, and a good friend of mine, because what happened, here's what happened. It was two Blackhawks, one Apache. They go up and they're like, Aussie 7-2, where are you? Aussie 7-2, where are you? And then uh, my friend, he actually, he sees the aircraft on the side of the mountain. And he's like, they're it's been and then yeah. of course they go into security mode but it's just it was sad it's a, a horrific situation that that happened and un- thankfully we were able to get the rest of them but I, what i will tell you is the the colonel that was our task force commander that the guy that's now wearing stars mm-hmm. he stayed on station for like 14 hours mm-hmm. like he had every extension known to man <laughs> You know, the rest of us, we probably wouldn't get that, but he he stayed on station and and, and ensured that every single one of those people responsible got got service because that was that was one of the low days yeah. aside from seeing our our ground forces get blown up. That was a, that was a, that was a rough day. And fallen angel for just to kind of listen. Yeah, the fallen angel is the code word for an aircraft has gone down, um, and th- there's no like two words in the. You know, aviation uh, world that is going to spur action faster than that, and you know it may seem weird. Like, well, what, what about you know guys that get in a IED strike? Why did why is a, an aircraft any more important? It's just because they're so isolated. You know, if a if an if an MATV hits an IED, there's 16 other you know vehicles or people, and then they can pull security and they can take care of it. But if an aircraft goes down, if there's a survivor, they're by themselves. They have nothing. You know, they are on the ground by themselves, fully isolated. And so, you know, I've responded to a fallen angel before. Fortunately, it wasn't a, it was, wasn't a crash. It was a PL. But, um, you know, these, you have these guys, you know, two, three, four, five guys that are out in the middle of nowhere. If they survive the crash at all, and the, you know, you'll have AC-130s, you'll have drones, you'll have manned surveillance, you'll have Apaches, you'll have Kiowas. You'll have every aircraft that can respond in the entire area is like, stacked on top of each other and then they'll bring in sf and they'll bring in the dark the the downed aircraft recovery team and they'll put this huge package on the ground and like that um but unfortunately like you said those usually turn into very 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 long and um not always you know pleasant experiences because you know especially if you're overhead and you have a camera you're watching them pull people out of aircraft or it's just not a 
it's not a not a wonderful experience. It makes for a long day for everybody. I guess is what I was going to is that you know you know I've flown on extensions for them. Fourteen hours is insane, especially in a Kiowa. I mean, in, in oh. a quiet yeah, in a Kiowa for fourteen Oof. hours. Yeah, he was just miserable, man. I probably had to cut his clothes off of him. Like yeah, yeah, no, he was he was a boss though. He led he led from the front, and that's why I think our task force when I was there that things went so well. He, yeah, he led from the front. He was always one that he had his crews that he liked. I thankfully happened yeah. to be one of the the crew members he liked. So when he would want to put teams together, he would uh, he, he would he would want me on that team, and it was it was it was it was good to me. Well, in 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 the Apache and and Scout world, having a a really good um, battalion or squadron commander or whatever. It's a huge deal because when you're making decisions out there, it's you, your co-pilot, an AMC, and the other co-pilot. Like, it's usually just four people. You're like, hey, can we shoot? Can we not shoot? Sometimes you have to make that call yourself. And knowing that you have a battalion commander that's ultimately going to have your back, because, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I've seen lots of mistakes made by pilots or or gunners in combat, and it happens. But if you know that the guy's going to have your back, if he believes you had the right intentions, you're more empowered and confident in making tough calls. That's, that That is this guy in a nutshell, and he's one of the only 06s, and now he's an 08, or right? yeah. he may even be a three-star by now. I don't know. He's one of the only ones that he invited my my friends and I, the people that were part of our task force, to go to Mellow Mushroom when he came down to Fort Rucker. Actually, vicinity of the time that you were you you were there. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he invited awesome. us to Mellow Mushroom, bought us beers, and he just he's a, a phenomenal leader and when you have that kind of leadership that you know you know if you go out and do something that's egregious you're going to get punished but if you go out and do something in the welfare of US forces right. you can bank that he's going to have your back and that, yeah. that makes it a lot easier to do your job and there there's a lot of leeway you know it's like if you are if you're doing the right thing if you're talking about ROE and you're factoring ROE into your decision and you're looking at CivCast issues and then something just happens. Like a, somebody walks out of a building you didn't know was there as you're pulling a trigger. Like that's not on you. You know, it, it's war at the end of the day. And, to, and But there's not all commanders that are going to back you like that. A lot of commanders are a lot more concerned with their career. So Yeah, right. You know, and it's, you know I've had some phenomenal ones and I feel like in aviation, it, there's no like mediocre commanders. They're either phenomenal or they're fucking dog shit. I've, you're actually 1 million percent correct. Because <laughs> I haven't seen, yeah, there's either really good or really bad. Um, and the really bad ones are usually the ones that are the, the more career focused ones. The, the good ones are always like, hey, I made it to Battalion Command. This is like awesome. Let's go kill things. And, you know, those yeah. are the guys that end up getting promoted because they, you know, they had the confidence of their peers and, you know, they, they did good things and, um, you know, a whole other side of that discussion is, you know, the peacetime army thing and, you know, people that don't get the appointments, um, end up being really dangerous commanders too, but, um, oh, yeah. you know, with, uh, ha- having, having been above in the Apache, you know, Panjoy is a really difficult area, um, to fight in for us because of the, the physical strain and, you know, the, the, the density of the vegetation and stuff like that. What were some of the challenges? that you would run into just either as a front seat or as a back seat or watching imagery trying to find people. Oh, um, finding people was horrific. When, when, when we would get troops in contact calls or 
even medevac calls where you know that there's potentially still hostiles in the area, it was near impossible because it was so thick. I mean, you think of you can think of like the the draws of North Carolina, if you will. I mean, you've been there, so you know. But to for the audience to draw out like a heavily wooded green wood line that you're trying to find a human being in and the flare is good, but it's, it's not, not that, that good. good. Right. Uh, you're, you're not seeing in there and that's where they were shooting from a lot of times. And I don't know if that's where you took most of your fire. I'm, my guess would be yes, because that's what we respond to a lot of times. A lot of times these they they weren't dumb. They're not going to just go out in the open and, and open up on you because you know, They'd shoot chances. from the side of the canals or from an yeah, orchard side of or canal, from inside of a potentially, or, or yeah. a lot of times from inside those wood lines. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and in some cases, inside gray putts, which right. was another one that's super challenging because if Nothing it's inside a gray that. putt, you don't know who else is in there. And right. so a lot of times we would kind of get the whole, the whole, you know, don't shoot because there could be women and children and stuff in there. And, right. and you don't want that. You don't want to international incident but yeah you would see muzzle flashes coming out of, mm-hmm. of gray putts potentially well the gray putts cause another problem because it's such a critical part of their of the civilian infrastructure you know you, i mean if i was in charge i'd be like hey bop, blow up every single gray putt in panjway i don't care just blow them all up now because they were bunkers they were all fighting positions you know it was a huge advantage to them because they could fight from them but we couldn't get through them because the walls are this fucking thick like even a hellfire, I mean, you you would you would need to put it through the door to kill somebody inside of it, or yeah. you know, down through the roof. But again, like that's their living. Like grapes are their living. If you blew every single one up in Panjway, you'd turn three hundred Taliban into thirty thousand of them because everybody'd be pissed. You just took away their way of making money. Yeah. So it's no, it's really challenging. Um, back to the like the difficulty of finding people. I know you know fellow infantrymen of mine w- would always get frustrated with Apaches sometimes because like why can't they see it why don't they see it like why are they so far away the Kiowas are five feet above our head they can see it and it's it's important to illustrate the difference of why the Apache is a thousand feet above versus the Kiowa at 50 so if you could walk the audience through why that's the case I know why it is but I'll let you explain yeah so the the, the main reasoning was is just the the main threat and Afghanistan for us was small arms fire. It really, it, it truly was. And so a seven sixteen round, I can't explain exactly what the burnout on it is, but I think it's somewhere around 750 feet, something, something like, like that. that yeah. Uh, when, when they're shooting up in the air. So that's why we, we stayed up there because that was our biggest threat. And you don't want to bring down a, a $35 million helicopter with right. a, a AK 47 round. So should, try to defend the point of the 58s, but that's what their job is. Their job was scouts. So their job was to be down low. And right. it's not because they were less expensive, but that's that's their job. They just kind of right. trolled and, and got more information on the battlefield. But the reason that Apaches were at 1,000 feet, for the most part, was simply because of the number one threat, which yeah. was small arms fire. That was it. That's the only reason. And we, we did not, thankfully, that colonel, the same colonel that I was telling you about, he never made us stick to any of that as far as right. if we wanted to drop down and look at something, which we didn't do a ton. Right. We could. Yeah. We were, we were able, we, we had, we had a lot of latitude to, to be able to do kind of whatever we wanted. And that's kind of what I was leading towards like the, just the kind of the differences in the aircraft drove that a lot, you know, cause the Apache is, it's an armored bottom. You can't see through the bottom of an Apache. We don't have, you know, 
a, a bubble on the bottom like yeah. the Apache or the Kiowa does. You know, the side of the Apache comes up to about here in both of the seats. So your left and right visibility is not very great. Your up and sideways is wonderful, but down is terrible. Whereas the Kiowas, they're flying doors off. They have, you know, they have bubbles. They have everything so they can fly low and they can see things. If an Apache were to fly at 50 feet above the deck, we wouldn't see shit. You know, you'd have to, like, bank over and look yeah, left. Yeah, true statement. And our, our greatest asset in the Apache is our, our optic system, the TADs, which isn't very effective at, you know, 100 feet off the ground, but it's really effective at 1,000 feet. So, like, we had different capabilities than a Kiowa, whereas the Kiowa can fly 50 feet and be like, oh, there's the guy right there. You know, the Apache just isn't suited for that. But if we're if they find him and we're already at a thousand feet and we can see them and they can see us and that that's the the strength of the pink team and that's why it kind of worked out like that. You know. Oh yeah. But I don't know. I I, I just the the fact that the pink team made a comeback in two thousand twelve <laughs> just makes me so happy. No, like, they we yeah, it was a it was a huge comeback. I wasn't not a fan initially, but yeah. wound up wound up loving it because it was one of the things that a lot of people don't get with the pink team is following that 58 is like a science. I mean, you, because you can't, they're, they zigzag, they do whatever they want to do. They're out there, they're doing their mission. And so you would, you could cross check them real quick, but if you try to stare at the 58, forget it. You just know you have the separation of the hard deck. You know that they're at potentially 300 feet. You're at a thousand. You look down and it's like, they're somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen him for a second, but I'm going to find him. And if you have to, then you call him or whatever. But right. yeah, no, that that was yeah. If you stare at the at the at the 58, that's a, that's a bad tactic for an Apache pilot because yeah. you're either going to run into something or you're missing something else that's happening. Well, and also like with it being as green, especially in the deep summer in Panjway, you aren't going to see that thing. Like maybe in the FLIR, you can see it really well. But like yeah, no, looking for no, that thing across unaided, all that. Yeah, unaided, oh my you're gosh, you're not seeing that rig. Yeah, it's gonna be hard. Yeah, unaided, um, you're not seeing that. I'm telling you, yeah. 2012 Afghanistan. If I take nothing else away from it, watching these blasts or responding to them every fucking day was taxing. It was taxing yeah. on the soul, man. I mean, I know it was more taxing on you guys because you're the people that are enduring it. But as a pilot that was once a grunt uh, yeah. for nine and a half years, it was very, very taxing on me. Um, to think about what you guys were dealing with and going through and, 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 and the loss of life and the loss of friends. Cause again, OIF one did not compare. I mean, we yeah. lost some people, but it was their uh, IEDs were in their beginning stages and, mm. um, and not only that, but they were well, fighting have, a conventional force. I mean, well, it's and they didn't have yeah. like, you know, they had palm groves and shit, but they didn't have what they had in Afghanistan to shoot you guys. Cause I understand you guys, you know, get got, getting shot up a lot, but they didn't have that. Right. Um, in Baghdad. In Baghdad, yeah. there wasn't a ton of palm groves to where you can just pop out with a rifle and try to shoot at our ground right. forces. No, you shoot at our ground forces, you're you're getting smoked. The, you're in the desert. You're going to get yeah. smoked. Right. But, right. You know, Afghanistan, people think of it like desert, but it's like, no, bro. During fighting season, the shit's all green. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's muzzles coming out of. I was, before you came back on, I was saying that, you know, I seen muzzle flashes out of gray putts. I don't know about a hundred, but tens of times for sure. And Luke, I I don't know if you were familiar with that, but I mean, that's a shitty tactic because we we can't just level the building. 
Oh yeah. That's yeah. why we actually, got the like, If I was the enemy, like, that, <laughs> yeah. that would be my tactic if I was the mm-hmm. enemy because it's like, we're, they're not going to let us. I mean, now you guys obviously could go in there and kick the door in and, 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 and uh, we kicked it in. We, we kicked it. We yeah. kicked the hole in the side with the 84 millimeter Gustav. That was our cheat code. Once we got, once yeah, we got the Gustav. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know, which I have 1 million percent. I, I wish they would have just let us flatten it. But yeah. a lot of times it was you guys going there and being like, all right, you want to, you want to shoot at us? We're fixing to come in. Great and, putts uh, were always. I think we got hit yeah. from great putts probably more than other great putts and tree lines is where we always got contact from. Rarely got contact from like an actual structure. A tree line at least we can dump on. At least yeah. like us and the fifty eights yeah. were able to dump dump rounds on or even an AC one thirty. But um, the great putts is what made it restrictive because mm-hmm. you, we we weren't able to just you can't mm-hmm. just. For us, well, the, there were rules up. against taking out structures, and it qualifies as a structure, right? Well, well, it's yeah. structure that you don't know who's in there. Right. Now, if it's an abandoned structure that you're, it's definitive because there's no top on it, and there's a bad dude in there, you can smoke it. But right. the, the problem was if you know there winds up being three babies in there, and then we put a hellfire on it. It's like, oh, yeah. you just killed three babies. Optics aren't great on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, optics aren't great. So that's kind of where, and I no, I, I. I didn't want to have to kill bait, but it was just a shitty tactic by them because it's like, and every time I ever seen you guys and every other ground force kick the gray put door or, or do the gust of and, and, and blow a hole in it and go in there. I loved it because yeah. it was like, well, that's interesting. That's, you know, we've talked about this a few times and we kind of talked around it really. You know, you guys were extremely limited on what you were allowed to do. Like the ROE always applied to aircraft always because everything's recorded. There's high visibility on it. You know, it's, you know, the, the news is always going to report on it, all that kind of stuff. But we didn't, like, even though we had ROE, we, we kind of really didn't. If we were getting we shot at, we could do whatever we had to do. Oh, yeah. If yeah, it was, if it was a weapon that we could employ, we could fire it. Yeah. So, like, Grey Putt, we could take that thing down. If we had our own weapon system, we could take it down. Well, and I don't know how, how, how shitty things got for you guys after uh, I was talking to Curtis about this last night. But if you remember, Luke, the... Uh, Robert Bale's situation. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a that was a a huge deal for us because that was our like Bellum Bay Doom Zero Two. The guy we worked with all the time that he was out of there. He was a a, a JTAC that was out of Bellum Bay, and so Bellum Bay happens. You know this shithead goes out and he he kills sixteen civilians that he because he's seen his buddy get blown up, but. Supposedly. He's a murderer, obviously. So yeah. he goes out and does what he's got to do, and and they're pushing the gates the next mm-hmm. day. Like they're and it's like, okay, what? You can't let them get in. You don't want to shoot a bunch of other civilians. That's not going to no, look better. Yeah. So it was like, how do we fix this? And the the how was we send Apaches out there and then dispense flares and try to push him back from the gate and I wasn't on that crew. So I'm not acting, you know, I don't want to say that I was, but I had, they came up with the term super weather crews. So they put uh, some, some senior pilots together and they went out and, and they were flying around. It was half mile visibility. There was a nasty dust storm. I I don't know if you guys remember when that happened, Mm -hmm. but there was a nasty, the dust storm was terrible. And, and one of my really good friends was, he was flying circles around there and then he, they would dive down occasionally to spend some flares and try to push those guys yeah. back or those protesters back. But uh, it was, well, a, that, that brings was, up a good point. Well, actually two good points really. One was the dust storms 
and why the Apache was actually pretty effective and able to fly in that kind of weather where other aircraft weren't is because our our FLIR could see through that stuff. So it was a little bit safer for an Apache to fly in that kind of condition than, say, a Blackhawk or a Kiowa because they had nothing. They had their naked no, eye. That's yeah, all they without had. Without a doubt. Without yeah, question. Yeah, it was super, super sketchy for them. But for us, it was like kind of scary, but we're fine, you know, because we have the FLIR. We could always switch to the FLIR. Um and the other thing was this idea of the super weather crew, which is <laughs> no, I think it's the, the, the dumbest, dumbest I, I thing mean, in I've my ever. Opinion, it's yeah. the dumbest. It's the dumbest idea ever. And you know, I, I'll tell you. So I'm I'm friends with a. I made friends while I was there with a with a, with a W five that was attached to us, and uh, he wound up becoming kind of my mentor. And I mean, he thought it was a dumbass idea. <laughs> yeah. it's like this is just you don't have a super weather crew. You're a pilot. No you're not thing. a pilot, but right. to, to, to because you have a little more experience, you don't go flying weather that's not safe. Good, yeah, right? uh, or not anything, not, not, like, not meeting yeah. legal minimums. Right. You don't do that in no. a Delta model. You just don't do it because you you're going to wind up becoming potentially the main objective. And then when you right. go down, protesters, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. I just, you know, I the the I remember the Bedlam Bay situation very very vividly because it lasted for a couple of days and. For actually, in my opinion, for good reason. I mean, yeah. the oh, yeah, dude sure. went out and killed 16, 18 people in a village. I sure as hell would be out protesting I'd myself. Be, yeah, I'd be mad too. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if, that if, that if, was a couple days before we got there, actually. I think that happened like March 11th. And we were on the ground. We were we we were wheels up from Fort Stewart on the 17th. Yeah, no, you're, no your like time from that sounds perfectly right. right. There. Because they, they wound up. They wound up taking that jabroni over to Kuwait, and Kuwait was like, "Get him out of here. He's not mm-hmm. staying here." And so yeah. they had to, they yeah, he was in Leavenworth. They moved like him back four to, days to Leavenworth, and yeah. you know, he tried to say, you know, he's seen a, his friend get his leg blown off the day before, but it's like, wasn't his why friend. would you shoot <laughs> two and four and six year olds? No, that because, that dude was fucked up. Like he was oh, just, and if you want to find out up. the first two episodes, first three episodes of season two of the Pandroid podcast are a good place to start. No, I was yeah. actually, no, if I, no, today we, we had church Shameless and plug. we had my, my daughter, my daughter had a thing. I no, I'm I, the first on season two. It's, mm-hmm. it's two of the people in his squad, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Squad. No, I'm, 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 I'm watching those, uh, probably tonight, if not tonight, tomorrow, but yeah, no, I wanted to watch them this morning. Cause I was told Curtis yesterday, I've I binge watched about five episodes and, it's just funny hearing some of the names like they were talking about Mahalik and Gecko and mm-hmm. uh that was a place that, that, that we went to uh yeah. Not not super often, but uh Spurwingar was, was my favorite. I just I remember their the Spurwingar balloon went down at some point for something. I don't know if it was maintenance or whatever. We only and, even had one at the very end. Very end for yeah, us. Fair. We got it in like September or something. It was like a mini yeah, balloon. No, it, it, wasn't it, even came, very nice. it came in later. But when, yeah. when Sperwin Gar got one, it was like, and I remember now because we were talking about Lions of Kandahar because that was yeah. that mm-hmm. was the area that you know they absolutely had to take. And uh, Massam Gar was out to the west of Sperwin Gar, right? Uh, to the north, north, oh, north to the north, east. yeah, due north. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, Sperwin Gar, they- you could see over the entire Argandav. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of our, uh, so we talked to Tom a couple episodes ago, Tom Young, and he was talking to me about how he had, you'll appreciate this as an infantryman, a dude on the top of Sperwingar shooting people crossing the Argandab with a 240. I'm like, dude, that's like a two and a half K shot. That's insane. He's like, yeah, dude. I was like, that's fucking awesome. He must have been like, 
fucking oh yeah no, to like no, 40 no, degrees no that's yeah. remarkable i just as sperm and guard just the the way that that terrain is built the way that for us to take that initially and hold it for so many years it's key i mean it, for us it was key terrain Oh, kept, no, I, mean, I mean, we, we never got really mortared or rocketed. Key. It's, yeah. more key. it's more key than Massengar or even Gundygar, any place like that. It's one of, in RC South, mm-hmm. or maybe in all of Kandahar, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a, it's one of the key pieces of terrain because you're able to see out so far, and you can come up with... And it's in the middle of the valley. Yeah. It's yeah. so like, inevitably, like, Massengar is important because you can see in Dazari and Panjway, but there's limits, you know. I mean, same thing with an aircraft. You can only yeah. see this. Yeah. You know, if there's something beyond that line, you can't see it. But being in the middle of the valley, you kind of have 360, and it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I still am trying to figure out more about the origins of it. Uh, yeah. And you said you guys didn't get a balloon till like September. It was, late. it was late and it was a little balloon and it got shot balloon. down like the first time we put it up. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. We didn't want that thing, man. That was, we knew it was just going to yeah, be a I thought I thought for cam. some reason, I, but I, I think I'm thinking Massengar because Massengar had one for sure, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, no, they they were they they were everywhere. Yeah. I, I just I thought you guys had one, but if it came up late, and then what? They freaking peppered it and shot yeah. it out. It was a it was like the mini version that had didn't have as good of a cam. We were all dreading it because we were just like we talked like we started out talking. We were just waiting for some asshole sergeant major to be like, "Oh, you do make sure your boots are blouse before you go on patrol." <laughs> well, I, I actually I hated the I hated the Pegasus and I hated the raid cameras because what they did yeah. is they took authority yeah. away from the the, the yeah, leader on the ground. Yeah, the commander. Because I know like the unit after us, like they didn't let their RTOs and their lieutenants call in fires. They did all of their, um. You know, coordination with the birds through their talk. Like, it wasn't like, oh, like, why so would you stupid. do like, So stupid. Like, well, we can see, we can, we have better situational awareness. Like, fuck you. You don't have better situational awareness. Yeah. That dude's on the ground. Like, I really wish they would have cut all the balloons off in some way. I'd rather, like, <laughs> just, just fight it. Fight just it fucking normal. fight it yeah. out. We got, we got aircraft. They got eyes. We can mm-hmm. figure shit out. Like, you know, I've never heard of somebody doing anything fucking productive with a raid camera or a Pegasus balloon. Maybe if you, if you have a great story of like where they, they did something wonderful and saved some lives, great. But all I've ever heard about is fucking uniform corrections and general. Yeah, no, I mean, I will say like that, that our colonel, when we were there, and I'm not, not, not to yeah. denigrate what you were just saying, but like yeah, no. our colonel that was there, he changed the game on that because it was, that's what it was before. Yeah. But when, when we were there a lot of times, I would say out of, I don't know, let's call it six, 700 engagements we had. In, in the total, like my yeah. company had maybe 400 in the other two, That's let's say lot. two, three, 400, <laughs> two, but three it was they 80% of them pages. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because okay. we had liaisons out there that were going and talking. We had captains and W2s and W3s that were going out there and saying, Hey, this is how you use us. Right. And you see this person doing this, or you see this right. field of fire, but they, they, they did, they actually in in my opinion, they the PGS we got a ton of engagements from them because okay. it would say, "Hey, this guy, dude, these two dudes are walking north. Right? They just armed IEDs, PIDs established, no civcast, no CDA, clear to fire." Okay. And, 
so, yeah, so, so they did that. But I know a, a the uniform correction thing, sure, though. Yeah. I yeah, the uniform correction thing, which is absolutely <laughs> bullshit. Like, why would you worry? But I dealt with it on Kandahar because I oh, yeah. I got corrected myself by a sergeant major. I'm sure more than a few times, and I never did. You know, say f off. I, I even know trouble, people using the like, just to like look at people inside the wire. Like to see if like men and women were like you know uh, what's the word for it Frater- fraternizing or you know I was like dude come on like <laughs> yeah no it's like what oh are you gosh. using point that this point for? that thing yeah. out there find a bad guy for the Apaches to shoot like uh, that's probably just yeah uh, my, I think we just got the worst of it we never got we, we never did. got the positive aspect yeah well, you didn't get the yeah. positive I pro- I promise you though that the Apaches and and I I know you know all, all the brethren that watch us that 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 were over there with us for flying yeah we loved it but okay. like getting okay. uniform corrected is absolute bullshit which <laughs> again i still dealt yeah. with at kandahar but it was yeah. typically just because i didn't i didn't re-blouse my boots and hey sir hey chief they, you're not, you know, not they, flying no, they, right they, now they say it's so condescending because they're like hey sir fix your boots like, <laughs> no, dude, nothing's he, more condescending than sergeant yeah. major calling you chief <laughs> oh yeah hey chief fix your boots yeah. it's like dude ead dude <laughs> EAD. <laughs> my, I think my 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 worst PGS correction moment that I've ever heard of was when we had guys in a gunfight, like they're fighting, Actively they're behind the only cover that they have, which is this one wall. And some sergeant major comes over the comms from Mazagor. I was like, "Hey, you need to spread out your security. You guys are too bunched up." <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. This some cat in the talk, yeah, yeah. Compl- completely protected. While yeah. these dudes are just, yeah, no, you need to spread out. I'm you telling need- you, that's that for me. Like dealing with the ground force, I talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. But you know, when you, when you hear these young individuals that I happen to be older when I was there, OIF one, I was not old, um, but I didn't have. Uh, some people call a CCA. Some people call a CAS. I I don't really care what anybody calls us, other than overhead support. But what's well, something new now? Anyway, it was like uh, of course everything is new yeah, now. It's, it's a whole both those names are irrelevant obsolete, at this yeah. point. So or obsolete. So, uh, but when you would hear this young sergeant or specialist like calling you, and you can hear as he's keying the mic, and you're like. I know. How Holy close that shit. Is. Like, yeah. yeah, there's a reason this dude is talking incoherently. It's because there's rounds flying by his head. Like right now, they're not, there's not rounds flying by my head. So it'll right. always be, and, and a lot of our guys did it. I'm not, I'm certainly not saying I'm the, the a right. lot of the Apache pilots and the 58 guys over there were like, just calm them down, find out where their frontline trace is or where they're at. And then that way we can, at least hopefully stop it if not kill it yeah and that's my greatest takeaway from the army aviation community to you know the ground is that you know the air force is pretty bad about like you have to give us a nine line it has to be in this order you need this or you're not gonna get a bomb whereas the army aviation is like hey bro i i used to be you you know i was an infantryman i was a ground pounder Let's just have a conversation. Let's just talk. We don't. There's no rules right now. Where are you? Where's the bad guys? Do you know where all your guys are? If I shoot this tree line, is everybody clear? Yes. Cool. Put your heads down. And that's it. And that's as easy. It's as easy as it had to be, because you had basically two people on the same level having a conversation, just like just like we're having right now. 
Yeah, no, Curtis, that's I, I couldn't explain it anymore. I mean, Luke, what it, what is your thoughts on your the air support you got over there? I just I just want to get your opinion because yeah, I mean, what it, you've seen is a godsend for us because it made us feel safer. <laughs> you know, I mean, even if it was it was almost funny like clockwork. Like we take contact, birds would come on station. If you got lucky, you'd get into engagement. But if you left, it was just within ten minutes. Like within ten minutes on the clock, we take contact again. And so, but knowing those birds overhead and knowing you guys were on station, man, it was like that respite that we got, you know, even if you didn't yeah. engage, just like knowing that it's there is yeah. this like a brief respite that we could take. Okay. I can t- take a break, get some water, get ready for the next fight. Whenever you guys had to go across the river to another troops in contact. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, cause that's what, no, that's all it was. Yeah. It yeah. was nonstop. And, 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 you know, I, I think, you know, it wasn't, every single day but it was nearly for 365 days it was nearly every day and then the only difference is we became better and better at being able to manage it because if there was troops in contact here and troops in contact there and we were only separated by a kilometer or two we might leave the 58 on site here and then with the 64 right. might branch off right um, because we could still be in contact in comms yeah. But help just, both units. Just decomplex. So yeah. that, that no, that was a technique that, that we smart. used occasionally, yeah. but it was because yeah. really it's um, about the rotor noise ninety percent of the time. No, yeah, yeah, but well, yeah, mm-hmm. and again, I you know I hate to use the term, but it, it is what mm-hmm. it is. I mean, the long when you see the long dick of the law, when you see that Apache silhouette flying through mm-hmm. the sky. It circles around you. If you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, yeah. it's kind of like, I guess, probably seeing a police car if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, although the end result is much different. Yeah, you see that Apache silhouette <laughs> and you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, your, your, your lifetime is, is probably uh, going to expire very soon. And yeah. I, that's how it was when we were yeah. there, one million percent. We, we put a lot of hellfires on targets and we put a lot of 30 and a lot of ro- the rockets out are debatable because everybody's like, oh, man, I shoot perfect rock. I don't Nobody know if any rocket kills rockets. we had, but we had a lot of hellfires and we had a lot of 30, mm. a lot of 30 kills and in uh, that task force. And then the, the 58s did a phenomenal job. So yeah, I, I, I certainly don't want to throw too, them yeah. under the bus. They did a great job with the 50 cals and uh, their fixed rockets. And actually, no, and actually there was a a funny joke because they were talking about November model missiles, 58 shoots one. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't shoot that because that's for buildings. And they hit this dude, direct hit him. And the guy like goes like 20 feet in the air and like rolls over and then he, he starts running, but he falls and dies. But it was just like the 58s. Yeah. They they did they did really well, and yeah. I was I was I was really upset when they got divested just because of the friends that I made in that community. But fortunately, a lot of them have came to uh, to the community. Apache, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, including I, including the individual, like I said, the, the yeah. W five that was throwing eggs out to mark targets. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, that is the egg man. That is a true story. That's one for the books. Uh, and they brought a lot to the Apache community as well. Like no, lot, they, they, lot, they yeah, absolutely they really did. They, 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 they've, they've changed it. Did. I just, I hate a lot of them. There's a, there's in the task force I was in ones that were very, very good. 
weren't weren't asked to come back, and then that's you know that was sad. Yeah, um, for those guys, but they're, well, most of them are doing good. I know for us, so. man, the pink teams, and when when we heard Dark Horse on the radio, like there were other some folks that come flying every once in a while, man. But Dark Horse had a lot of a lot of weight for us on the ground, so. We appreciate you boys being up there overhead, the old all-seeing eye in the sky. So, um, but you know, it, Keith, the way we close these things out typically is we just kind of hand you the reins, man. Is there any, you know, whatever you want to say, air out, get out there, whatever you want to tell folks, let them know about the Apache communities or whatever, whatever's on your mind. Just let it, let it rip, man. Yeah, no, I so one, I, I definitely want to thank my my family, my wife, Jamie, and and my and my three kids, uh, Reagan, Noah, and Jordan for giving me a good life. And then I certainly want to thank all of the mentors that I had uh, in Afghanistan, Roger Graff, uh, Sean Perez, Ed Mobley, who was a lieutenant that I had, uh, Ben Strong, Aaron Mitchell was my SP. There's some e- Eric Doman. There's just people that, that, that I certainly, I wouldn't be where I'm at if without them. Mm-hmm. And then certainly plugging what you guys have on your site, which I'm certainly getting ready to donate to, is to get these Afghan refugees some some help and i'm getting ready to donate to myself i'm going to do 100 bucks uh tonight when i get off the podcast so i I would hope that uh, a lot of you that are watching this podcast and i think now we're i think your subscribers it hopefully goes up by 30 40 because i uh at least 30 40 maybe hopefully 100 uh, because i think you know there's a lot there's a lot of folks that wanted to hear my story and and i appreciate you guys let me tell it uh so i that's really what I, the, the main people that I have to thank. And I want to get, you know, help those Afghan refugees. And, yeah. uh, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to throw a hundred at it as soon as I get off this podcast tonight. So I would, I would recommend that the other folks do the same and, and let's help these people find some peace after all the hell that we're talking about, that we just got done talking about for the last two hours. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, and I'll close with this. If, if your response to what Keith just said is, well, we don't know who they are. I don't know if I want them in my community. Please unsubscribe to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, thank you for, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, sitting around with us and, and shooting the shit and let me dedicate an entire episode to telling Apache stories. Which I think we're going to have to find a way for Luke to have an, an entire episode about the goose doll at some point. Oh, uh, there's a super cut in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, guys. Why well, I appreciate everything. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to throw a hundy in that account and, and uh, I hope that other folks do the same. You for guys sure. take care and, Thank you for what you're doing, and I look forward to binge-watching the rest of the episodes that I haven't seen. <laughs> awesome. Please Thanks, do, man. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pandroid Podcast. If you liked what you heard, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. New episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, Facebook, and YouTube. Visit www.thepandroidpodcast.com for more information.